welcome to episode 89 of the My Fancy Zamboni podcast. Uh, bad news this week, uh, we are not joined by Mr Andy Stafford, he's back on the IR um, again. So, there's just the three of us tonight. Uh, we'll start with Mr Gareth Dutton, the Toothless Wonder. Gareth, how is one? One is pretty well, thanks. How about yourself? I'm alright, mate. I'm just about catching up on sleep from uh, from Super Bowl Sunday. and uh, Likewise. <laughs> walking in through the door at about quarter past five. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'm alright. Worth it. Worth it. Fully worth it. <laughs> and uh, we're also joined by Dave. Dave, how are we doing? Not too bad, thank you. Um, how are you? Alright, mate. We're nearly, nearly another weekend. Another game this weekend. Was it 4-4, four 5-5 four, five five for us this week? 4-4. Four four. Yeah. But like you know, guys, I, I think I've just about caught up on the sleep from Super Bowl Sunday. And I echo both of you. Worth it. Hundred percent. Our uh, condolences go out to Bengals fans who, up until about a minute fifty left in the game, thought that they were going to take the win. So uh, <laughs> I think uh, I can't remember. We all rooting for Bengals. I think we're at the end. No, oh, Gresh shaking his head. I was just rooting for a good game because I said Rams were going to win it at the start, and then was like, as long as it's a good game like we have in the previous playoff games. I'm all good for that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, I know George said at the start of the game, who who, you, who would you put your money on? And I said to him straight away, and I put my money on Rams, but I'm still rooting for Bengals. <laughs> so, yeah, decent game. Like you guys said, worth it. Yeah. Good, uh, enjoyable evening at chat, or evening struck morning at Champs. And uh, reminiscing some uh, old uni chants. Reminiscing some old uni chants. <laughs> Can't fault the Hallam chance. Can fault the last walking around selling Jaeger bombs that swindled us into about three extra Jaeger bombs at about half three. That's disgusting. <laughs> Never heard anything like it. I've only got a bit left in the bottle. Well, you might as well do another round. Anyway, hockey, what we're here for. Um, I'll run quickly through the scores. I'll see if I can actually not cock them up because I've looked at them wrong already when I was running through the predictions. So um, Dundee beat the Belfast Giants 4-3 in overtime on the Friday. Uh, the Storm beat the Panthers 4-2. Uh, on to the Saturday, Guildford lost 5-4 at home against the Flyers uh, 5-1. Can I just say 5-4 then? Doesn't matter. Never mind. Um, Cardiff beat the Nottingham Panthers in Cardiff 5-2. Steelers beat the Storm, sorry, Griff, uh, 5-2 in Sheffield. Glasgow lost our at home 6-4 to the Coventry Blaze. And the Belfast Giants came back from the, uh, the 4-3 loss against Dundee on the Friday, winning 7-0 on the Saturday. Uh, on to the Sunday, the Steelers beat the Clan 3-2 uh, in what was probably the most physical game we've seen in Sheffield all season. Um, the Panthers beat the Devils 4-1, thank you, Nottingham. Um, Coventry Blaze lost 5-1 at home to the Guildford Flames. Um, and the Flyers lost 3-2 in a shootout to the Belfast Giants. I think Belfast equalised that one with about a minute left on the clock, um, give or take. On to the Wednesday for the last few games, Dundee beat the Cardiff Devils 3-2 in Dundee. Thank you, Dundee. Uh, the Panthers beat the Storm 4-2, and the Glasgow clan took a 5-3 home victory against the Steelers. Straight over to you, boys. Uh, highlights. <laughs> Uh, that was a, a bit of a surprise result given the location and the team travelling doesn't do well. But at Guildford v Fife, and we was uh, here on the scorelines on uh, the game on Saturday, we're like, this can't be true. 
Fife running up um, a quick two-goal lead, McNicholas and McKenzie. Uh, Ferguson for the Flames goal back. And then Benson, Jokinen and uh, Stodinik uh, got goals for Fife. And a, a bit of a shock 5-1 win for the Fife Flyers uh, in Guildford. I know <laughs> it was Guildford's first home game for a while. And they were hoping to put on a bit of a show for the fans. But credit to Fife. Um, and the bus load of fans went down, and that's a lengthy journey. I think it's like a good nine-tower one way. Um, but they got the result. It was worth the, worth getting home at uh, four or five in the morning. Uh, so, yeah, that, my result of the weekend. Uh, well done, five. Yeah, my result will be obviously the Friday night game, Manchester v Nottingham. A 4-2 win for the Storm. Going into that, I thought we'd probably lose, but... I was happily surprised towards the end. First period goals from Dallas Earhart on the power play. Then you had Adam Brady scored to make it 2-0. Panthers bring it back. Oli Betteridge scoring and then Crozola scoring as well. With 27 seconds left in the second period. And then the third period, Adam Brady again scores. And Jared Van Wormer scores. In that game also, there was a five-plus game boarding call for Brady Norrish. So I'm surprised there's not been anything locked into for that, because that did look kind of bad. But who knows, they may have spoke to him and just said, don't be an idiot again. But apart from that, it was a good game. Yeah, mine is Fife v Belfast, and I think up until about a minute and a half left in the game, we were really uh, thinking that the Steelers might be onto a winner at the weekend with a four-point weekend, and uh, it looked like Belfast might drop another game uh, after after losing the game to Dundee on the Friday. Uh, it wasn't to be. Uh, first period, absolutely nothing happened, no penalties, no goals. Into the second period, Fife scored uh, 32 minutes 20 into the game through Kyle Thacker. Uh, the Giants equalised about five minutes later through David Goodwin, um, and that was the end of the second. Uh, interestingly, one that we don't normally see, uh, a, a penalty called against Ben Lake for delay of game face-off violation. Don't often see face-off violations given anymore, but um, always funny when you see one. Uh, Flyers took the lead at the start of the third period, a minute and five into the period, through Chris Lawrence, the first game that I think... Um, you're thinking they might, might might actually benefit from getting kicked out of the game as it worked well for him last week uh, not this time as he scores the goal however um, towards the end of the game 57-35 he gets a two minute penalty for hooking and the Giants capitalise on the power play 58-33 so a minute 27 left on the clock through Slater Doggett uh, it went into overtime with no goals uh, and then to a shootout with the game winning shootout goal going to David Goodwin um all, all said and done, a decent result for Fife. Good to get a point out of uh, one of the title contenders. Um, and also, as daft as it sounds, a good result for Belfast. Uh, third game of the weekend, uh, two games against Dundee. Um, obviously, a huge, huge blowout game on the Sunday um, with the 7-0 victory. But uh, Sorry, on the Saturday with the 7-0 victory. Through me having three games. But, um, yeah, a 3-2 win. We always say this, boys, champions find a way to win in those kind of games. Uh, unfortunately, if you're a Steelers fan, well, Belfast Giants did that time round. Uh, just looking at the stats on that game, Belfast had 44 shots on goal to 5-32. Um, Belfast Giants also had Jackson Whistle in goal, because I believe Beskarouani rolled his foot-slash-ankle. Foot-slash-ankle. Um, uh, 
he was out of that game. We had Jackson whistling goal for the whole game, uh, pulled through for the Giants. Um, anything else on highlights? Just anything we want to mention before we move forward? Seeing shaking heads, so we'll go straight through to the next thing. Not had this to talk about all that much recently. Uh, we've got two dot suspensions to go through today. Uh, both involve the Cardiff Devils. So the first one we'll go with is Brendan McNally or Brendan McNally, if you follow it, if you're following Twitter. Um, he gets a two-game ban for instigating an altercation. Uh, I throw it straight over to you guys. So the best I've read about it, because I've not seen a video of this one. Um, I'm, I'm not sure two games. I think he's got lucky, um, if truth be told. I'm trying to think how many games Brol got for leaving the bench. Is that one or two? Keep going and I'll have a look. Yeah, so he's not having any, like, any penalties literally he's got off the bench and you know when, when we're in the era of the game of hockey that we have and we're trying to avoid that type of thing to only give two games seems a little bit of a we've punished you we've done his bit now be a good boy say it out and don't do it again when you look at other bands for different things I okay I appreciate leaving the bench is not like a checked of head or something like that but if we're trying to eliminate I want to say trying to eliminate, but moving the game from bench clearances, ball like brawls, to only give two games for this seems to me a bit, a bit soft. Yeah, reading up on this because I don't think I've seen a video either. Not seen anything doing the Twitter rounds, which is quite strange at the moment. <laughs> it's. They say it, it's deemed that McNally left the bench as part of a legal line change. However, instead of proceeding directly to where the face-off is, he just skates towards Toussignor. And I guess they have a few choice words, and it goes from there. I can definitely see, obviously, Toussignor say something to him. We know what type of player he is. And we know what type of person, what player McNally is. I think he's probably been suspended more times than he's probably iced this season. But two games, I can see, without seeing the video, I'll be able to fully say, okay, you should deserve more. But considering they're saying it's a legal line change, fair enough. It's the carrying on of the fight in that. It's like... Don't be an idiot. There you go. Back to your seat in the stands again. Oh, I'm going to take some of your wages as well. Yeah, like you guys have said, there's not really much of a video during the rounds. This one that doesn't really show him leaving the bench. It shows more of the altercation following. Um, I saw someone retweet it saying, I don't think I've ever seen a player fight so much that can't fight. Um, because, honestly, Toussignon, I don't even know. After he got beat by Dowdy, you'd think he might call it a day. I know that Dowdy can throw him, but for a guy who's supposed to be tough, um, you know, he goes a bit further. But, um, yeah, McNally comes off the bench. I want to say a decent tilt, but it wasn't the best. Um, 
Yeah, I don't. I, honestly, in fairness, my issue with this is more related to the fact that I feel like Dops just automatically resorts to a two-game ban. Um, that that is genuinely my feeling. I actually don't have an issue with it in this instance. It seems like a bit of a paradox to say. Um, I will say that Brol, I've, I've found the breakdown of the one against against Guildford. He got a, well, he was assessed a minor penalty plus an automatic game conduct as the first player leaving the bench, which carries an automatic minimum one-game suspension. So if that's the case, I don't have much of an issue with this one. Um, like you say, it's been deemed as, as, as a legal line change. The rules have always been as far as as far back as I can remember. If you're coming on for a line change as an altercation, you're still not allowed to to join it. You have to go straight to the face off. You you can't go join an altercation even if you are technically coming onto the ice. Um, I don't know. I don't know what built up to it. I don't know what Tucson said. I don't know if there was any kind of cheap shot or dirty play that led to it. So I can't really comment. If it was a case that it was a cheap shot or you know, or a, a, a dirty play, I don't really have much of an issue with it as, as the kind of role that Brandon McNally's played regularly. You would expect him to be the kind of guy that steps in, and if he is coming on as a line change anyway, you know, you would expect that. Um, I don't think... I mean, it's, it's down as McNally has been previously suspended during the EIHL 21-22 season. Griff, like you said, it's an understatement. He's, he's certainly not his first band moment, we'll just say that. Um, I don't know whether this is then being given as a one-game suspension for leaving the bench and a one-game suspension as a repeat offender. To me, it doesn't really sit right because there's been a few players that have been deemed as not repeat offenders for boarding, but then have had checked, checked from behind suspensions previously so if we're going to start giving extra games for being a repeat offender for a different altercation because I mean I think I said at the time I remember this because I remember saying at the time that to me a check from behind and boarding should be deemed under the same thing for, for a, um, a repeat offender because it's a similar thing McNally's certainly not been suspended for anything that resembles leaving the bench so you know I don't necessarily agree with the repeat offender Two games seems relatively uh, adequate to me for uh, for this kind of incident, so I don't really have much of a complaint there, to be fair. Uh, anything else on McNally? No, so we'll move on to the next. Like I say, we're staying with the Cardiff Devils. Uh, this one was on Sunday afternoon in Nottingham. Uh, Devils defenceman Mark Louis was ejected from the game following an altercation with Panthers forward Sean Richards. Uh, straight over to you, guys. So yeah, looking look, looking at the the video and then obviously what they've said. Obviously they've mentioned he's another person that's been previously suspended. Two games. Okay. I can see why. I mean I just think obviously with one of the Panthers players going down. Obviously, when you go down, you want to put your hands down to stop yourself. And it's pretty much just hit Caruth on the head. And, obviously, Gordon Rule and Hockey don't touch your goalie. Louis being who he is, he's just gone for the player. Once the... I think once the officials have got involved, because it looks like it's a bit one-sided, it's definitely where you should just stop. But then, obviously, they've stopped, and then players have gone for each other, and then carried on and carried on, and it's like, like come on now, guys. I think more of this is going to be frustration, because they were 4-1 down at the time. 
for me, it's just a bit silly and frustration just pulled into play. They're down 4-1. What can I do for my team to start, try and fire them up? I'll do this. For me, I, I agree. It's definitely our frustration, given the scoreline that we're um, at the time. But I disagree uh, with the contact element to Karouf. And I've watched it a few times and, and looked at it from, was there enough contact to warrant a continuation? For me, it actually wasn't. Um, the, the Panthers player's done everything he can to avoid any additional contact. Like He's avoided as much as possible. And in them scenarios... As a goal, you will expect some form of contact. And the contact he had was as minimal as you're going to get. Was it warranted Caruth's uh, stick work? Not a chance. That was, again, someone frustrated, someone irritated. Let's try and do something. Or someone that goes, I couldn't give a, I couldn't give a whatever uh, expletive you want to use. Uh, I've got a backup that there. So if I want to throw me out, fine. I'll mix things up. So the whole thing, the whole passage of play, that was just... Very petulant behaviour, a polite way of, uh, of putting it. Um, but like you said, as soon as a linesman got involved in the altercation, you stop. Louis hasn't, and he's landed a, a few good blows whilst the linesman have jumped in to stop the fight. So for me, I look at two games, I see the words repeat offender, and I'm like, not sure. I think you may have thought this a bit short there. I did have to laugh when they did the breakdown. Because in fairness, the one thing they got at the breakdown, the summaries. Bit one. This is a fight. <laughs> well, um, thank you for that. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not sure we'd have known that. Um, but yeah, I think it's a bit short. And if I'm honest with you, the with a stick with it from Kroof, he's lucky he hasn't been... Now, at least looked at or maybe even find. Because that was definitely something to to get the ball rolling, shall we say, in terms of small location. Yeah, you guys have hit the nail on the head. Um, Louis clearly lost his head. I understand where Louis coming from if he's not seen the contact from Karouf. This is this is my point. Like I, I kind of I'm on the fence between you two in the in the contact on the goalie. And contact caused by the goalie, yes, but I don't know how much of that Mark Lewis seen. Um, straight away, you watch the video. I've watched it like you, Dave. I've watched it multiple times. Richard does everything that he can to stop that contact. And actually, if I give him credit for it, he does a bloody good job to stop where yeah. he does. Um, he has his back towards Karouf as he stops, and Karouf gives him a good little shove right where the, just just behind the knee as well that's the, that's the key thing for me you shove a player there there's only one place he's going and he's coming down on top of you and actually again he doesn't actually land on Karouf quite as much as he easily could have done there and in fact there were a number of players and I'll say it there's a number of players in Sheffield across the league there were a number of players that would have actually used that as a point of who's going to do that I haven't land on him you know I'm going to take him out because he's done it, he's opened me up to it, what are they going to do? I fell on him. So, fair play to Richards to actually minimise the contact, um, I have to say. I'll say fair play to Louis for stepping in and defending his goal. We, we do say that we'd like to see that more often, and as I say, if he didn't see the contact from Karouf, fully justified to go after Richards. 
what he isn't justified to do is then carry on in the way that he does. Um, I've seen a few Devils fans saying, so it's okay when Louis carrying the altercation on when there's a liner in the way, but it's not okay when Louis on the ice face down. And I, I look at the video, and I've watched the video multiple times for multiple reasons, and all I can think is, um, you know... I just don't see it. Louis on his knees because he's lost a, he's lost his footing. He's still quite clearly engaged in the fight. It's not like he's face down on the ice. He's literally he's facing the ice on his knees, trying to get up with the evident intention to carry the location on. So you can't by any means argue that he's not a willing competent to the fight. The difference is the liners get in the way and Louis carries on. And the punches that he delivers to Richards through the lino pretty devastating punches. He lands some solid hits to the face. Um, I honestly thought at one point he clipped the linesman um, because the line was in the way and the first punch that he tries to throw is, is kind of directly in front of the linesman's face. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's some contact there with his elbow. Not Granted, not intentional, but at the same time, we're supposed to be looking after the linesman here. You know, I, I just don't understand that side. Um, I agree. I don't think two games is enough just because of the repeat offender tag. And again, similar thing, I don't think Louis has been suspended for this kind of altercation this year so far. So again, we bring in the consistency side of things. They haven't kept on the repeat offender for other altercations previously. But if we're going to have extra games for the repeat offender, this easily should have been three or four games for me. And if nothing else, for the level of punches that were thrown once the linesmen were in the way, because the, the potential for injury to Richards on those punches could have knocked him clean out easily. easily. I, I, I agree in, in terms of if he's not seen the level of contact, he's done the right thing. I, I'll back him on that one. Just to yeah. what I say. But what I'll, I'll go on just as a separate bit of the what you just said there. You could argue that as soon as the lines would come in, that Richards is actually no longer a willing combatant. Yeah. So he's carrying on the fight with an unwilling combatant. So therefore, two games is a mockery yeah. on that That's score good. alone. That's, that's, that's what they've said. They've said um, it's important to know that Richards is no longer engaged or a willing combatant. He's unable to protect himself from the multiple forceful gloved punches. They were not gloved punches because oh. I've watched it multiple times. Oh, I've heard say on the video. He had both gloves off. Um, this is not the case of two players who willingly engage in a mutual confrontation. The initial altercation had stopped and the linesmen have intervened. This, along with the intervention of other players, leaves Richard both unable to willingly engage and unable to protect himself. They've hit the nail on the head with that description. They've just not then adequately applied it to the situation. And again, it's this, what should we give him? All right, boys, two games. It's like it's almost like every piece. Of, they've just got a two-game stamp, and every time a piece of paper comes across Dobbs's desk, it's just two games. Dub them. Next. Literally. Um, Hashtag Dobbs must do better. I, I, you know, what? I read bits of it, and I, I should have obviously been prepping, in terms of prepping for this. I read the whole thing because I am. Um, they've got that right. Two yeah. games give that. Yeah, it is a joke. The interesting side is they've also acknowledged the reason for the fight, and I actually quite like this bit because they've actually set a precedent here that I don't think they've said previously, or they say they have, but I don't remember it. Uh, the Department of Player Safety understand that Louis is frustrated on this play with what is perceived as unnecessary contact with his goaltender. The Dops, uh, sorry, Dops has established in the past 
that players are not excused from punishment because they are acting in response to the actions of another player. What causes this player to rise to the level of supplemental discipline is the nature of the punches and the force in which they were delivered on an opponent who was unable to protect himself. So again, they've hit the nail on the head, they've set a precedent, you can stick up for your goalie, but that doesn't mean you're not going to get suspended, fine. But again, they've addressed the nature of the punches, the force in which they're delivered, and the fact he's unable to protect himself. So they've just not adequately applied it at all for me. Do you reckon they've just like pressed the, uh, the, the keyboard and they, they thought they pressed eight and they've just slipped and they've just gone down the line and gone two or five and just gone down the line and gone two? Yeah. Because of that, you, you, when you put that argument together, there's more chance of me winning the Euro Millions last Tuesday than that being a two-game ban and being justifiable. It, it reads to me like they have taken games off because he was looking, he was sticking up for his goalie. That's what it and they've said. Even though they, they say that's not an excuse. Yeah, that's what I mean. They've said it's not an excuse when it looks like they've had it as an excuse. It just makes no sense. Um, I mean, we talk about consistency, boys. I, I'm, I'll say this before I go on to this. Has anybody got anything else about Mark Louis directly? No. No. We've we've talked about the fact that they comment on he's an unwilling combatant and the fact that when the linesmen step in, um, they've intervened. And the initial altercation has stopped. Dave, you were the one that pointed this out, but I had the same thought while watching it. Cody Sold the week before continued throwing punches to a player with his back on the ice and his head against the ice pretty much. Multiple punches thrown. The referee stepped in when he was on his knee. He went from his knee to his back, all because of the punches thrown, and he carried on. And there was no supplemental discipline whatsoever. So again, they've, they've completely undermined themselves with that explanation. In saying they didn't even need to say it. That's the Baptist thing. They didn't even need to say it. But they've put it out there now. Once the linesmen step in, the altercation stopped. So why did Cody Solomon not get at least a game? It's we, we do our best, um, and I'd like to say us for not just on this podcast, but in general when we're watching games to give. As much a balance to not just go, you rubbish, you've, you've dropped the ball, unless to, to officials, to decisions, and try and mix it. But this year, it's just been yet another example. Another drop the ball. Another must do better. And it's just. And then to add, so you've now, if that's happened, we'll see it. So are they going to do every single time that this happens? Are they going to start a game right? One game. Come willing, come better. One game. No, they're not. If they I just do, I'd quite happily hold my hands up. Sorry, I'd quite happily hold my hands up and say, fair enough, you've quite clearly noticed that something's not been done at the first half of the season, but you've picked your point, you've stuck to it, you've moved forwards. But I have no doubt this is going to happen without discipline. And I hope they do. I genuinely hope you do, and I think to speak for it all. But with what they've done this year, I just can't see that happening. Yeah. It, uh, it, it happened that happened that, that being said in that uh, report may have been triggered by the Sol incident. Yeah. And if that's the case, okay. Learning from mistakes. Trying to address the books. Fine. Proofs yeah. in the pudding dots. Let, you know, prove us wrong. It, it, it happened earlier on in the season. And I, can, and I know we say we, we try and look at things neutrally and that's, that's on and off the podcast. Um, there's many a time you'll see us standing in the stands slagging something off that's happened with the Steelers. If we miss, if a penalty's been missed on us, we're the first people to say, that should have been a penalty. You know, we try and watch these things neutrally. I, we can only draw as well in terms of examples. And Gref, you'll be the same in terms of Manchester. 
a lot of the time you can only draw these examples from the games that you've seen. And granted, even if you've seen the doctor reviews of other things, you'll st- it'll still stick in your mind more when it's your team. It happened earlier on in the season with Mark Louis. When he jumped in on Keaton Ellaby after the hit on Sam Duggan, he went face down on the uh, sorry, face up on the ice. Referee f- jumped in. Louis threw at least three more punches while he was face down on sorry head down on the ice. Punches to the face. Nothing was done. No discipline to Louis at all. So we've clearly at one point decided, actually, we probably should have been banning these. And in fairness, with the with the responses that we've seen from the Elite League recently, and I said I said this to you boys before we came on, I tweeted the league in the Steelers game yesterday, and said we've had the we've had the overhead footage of the uh, the Belfast Cardiff goal incident. Can we have the overhead footage of the Steelers goal? Because you and I both watched that game. You and I could both see nothing wrong with that goal. And they came back straight away. They explained the situation, and I tweeted them back, and they tweeted me back with a further explanation. Perfect, perfect step forward for the transparency of the league. So what the league needs to do now is have a look at this. And to me, they should be coming out and going, right, we've reviewed the first half of the season. We've dropped the ball on X, Y, and Z. This is what we're going to do moving forward from now. And at least then you know, okay, fair enough. You've held your hands up. You've done a Todd Kelman in the Elite Series. You've gone, it's our fault. We'll rectify it. Whether I can say, I can't see it happening. It's not going to happen. But... Who knows? Yeah, we wait with a bated breath. <laughs> um, anything else on dots, gents, or consistency, or anything along those lines? No. So we'll move on from that. Uh, we've got something new um, for you guys next. Um, something that was the first part of TBC, I think, <laughs> dependent on how long everything goes for. I think it's three parts. Yeah. So first part of three, provisionally, potentially four, depending on how long we think. Um, we certainly like to keep, keep things neutral. You know, previously in the past we've had interviews and things like that. We realised that we've not had many recently. Uh, so what we've decided at this point, we're just going to do a kind of midpoint review with a fan from each team within the Elite League. Um, so we've got the first instalment of that coming up next. Um, we have Derek from Glasgow. We have Gareth from Cardiff. And uh, we have... Tom Brownlee from Belfast. Um, so, yeah, we'll throw over to that. Uh, Dave, you took the, t- took the lead on these, so you can probably speak a little bit more than us. You sent us the video, the, uh, the link earlier, and I think it was about 40 minutes long, so I, I will hold my hands up and say I haven't had a chance to listen to that yet. Um, so, yeah, you, you could probably take the lead a little bit more in terms of how things went just before we go over to that. Yes, um, so, again, thanks to to Derek, Gareth and Ty for jumping on and uh, I enjoyed the one with Derek because I had to find the quietest part of the dog track to do the interview because we just got his times crosswired so we, me, Joe and a few of us have gone to the, the dog track for a night out and uh, finding somewhere where you don't get any tannoy announcement was a, was a challenge but uh, all three of them were fun um, lots of good co- content from all from different perspectives um which is always always good to have just kind of you know see it from a from a different side. So yeah, it's it's traditional MFZ length, but I hope you all enjoy it. Yeah, we'll throw over to that now. Um, like you said, hey, thanks to everybody for, for taking part in it. Thanks to everybody who has agreed and will take part in it in, in future episodes. Um, yeah, something different. Enjoy. As we head into the business end of the season, the MSL podcast is asking fans of the 10 teams within the Elite League how their season has gone for them and how they think their season will finish. In part one of this segment, we ask fans of the Glasgow clan 
the Cardiff Devils and the Belfast Giants. And next on the podcast review, uh, we head to Glasgow and we are joined by Derek Seller. Derek, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so we'll, we'll cut to the chase. It's not been the easiest of starts for Glasgow, given the issues with uh, the venue. Um, how, how do you think it's gone so far with all that uh, entailed? I think, despite the issues, you know, the start of the season, I think um, there's been exciting things happening um, at the club. I think the fact that they are now the operators means that there's a lot more opportunities as a, as a club to expand. They're not as rigid. And considering before we knew that they were going to be the operators, we weren't sure they were going to have a home to play at. And it's been uh, it's been good. Um, so a bit wild where we were. But I think as a team, you know, we're competitive in some nights. Um, like, for instance, when we're against Nottingham or that one against Belfast. And then or even um, in the weekend there, where we were quite competitive, in my opinion, against Sheffield before we got trounced in the, the third period. Happy to hear that the third period trouncing, but that's a different discussion altogether. Um, but obviously we've had, obviously the, the starts you had you guys had with the venue, but then you have still the impact of the coronavirus and the restrictions that you had in Scotland. So I suppose the question is, from the fans' perspective, because um, I believe you, you caught one of the games where it was limited to under. What was that like? Because obviously uh, the Glasgow Arena, the Brady Arena, sorry, is 3,000. So when you have 200 people, what was that like? Strange. Um, I think yeah, yeah, most of the listeners will know clan fans are quite noisy in, in general. And I think with 200 people still in the arena, it was still quite noisy. But also eerily quiet. <laughs> It's it's a it was a, a weird a weird balance I think um so it's very strange but uh, I think as well with that um you know you you, you roll with the punches don't you you were only two hundred in so but we did get the webcast and I think a lot of folk were quite happy about that I must admit I watched the game um, on Sunday and I'm, I must have, I was well impressed with the webcast uh, from your guys so uh, kudos to them and I hope it carries on. Um, yeah. we, we mentioned on the podcast before as we do it about the strength of the net minding this season across the board in the Elite League and it's probably the one season that you kind of could go regardless of order you pick you, you'd have any net minder in your team whether you're at the top of the league or the bottom of the league so as opposed to someone who's seen him more often how's, how's Starrett fitted into Glasgow and you know from your perspective how, you know when you, when you look at your goal to win games how, how does that what feel do you get for him to do with that on a regular basis I think, um, well, for my particular group of hockey friends, I think we've all been impressed with him to some extent. Um, like, he's been one of our best goalies in seasons. Um, and actually, I re- really hope we would do re-sign him. Um, because it'd be amazing to see what he could do with a more robust defence in front of him. Because um, I'm sure there was, there was a game that we were, we were looking at when we played... Um, early in the season and the shots on goal were ridiculous and his save percentage was massive and it was just highly impressive. I must admit, I checked his stats today and to still have, with respect to the position of the Glasgow final moment, still have a save percentage in, in the nine, 900s is, is more than impressive. Um, but like I say, you know, the strength is superb. Another different angle, suppose, a lot of people joke about people coming to the UK who haven't been before tend to struggle. And obviously your new head coach, Mal- Malcolm Cameron, is one of them people. How are you finding him uh, as a coach and, and kind of what 
he's brought to the Glasgow club? So I think he's starting to settle in quite well with Clanton and you know he's starting to put his own stamp on the club and on the team. Um, I think his candour is quite refreshing. You know, it can be quite um, blunt. He's not afraid to call a spade a spade. And um, I think we don't know for sure, but um, because obviously um, what happens in the changing rooms, you know, is between them and his players. But I think he's, you know, he's quite blunt. Uh, you're not performing. You're not delivering. And he's probably not afraid to cut where he needs to cut. And I think that lights a fire under some of the players. Good stuff. So, from your perspective, who who has been the players that stood out and impressed you so far? This for me, um, obviously Starrett, but for me the standout um, probably Liam Stenton, um, who's on a two-way deal between Clan and Solway. Um, he's honestly a really impressive Brit, and um, I'd sign him onto the team in full on a one like just with Clan alone. Um, rather than the two-way deal, because he is you know, such a standout for me. Um, definitely one to watch. You've kind of well, answered part of the question that I'm going to ask, but I might as well bring it now. <laughs> so apart from Stenton, is there anybody else that, for those who don't or only see the Glasgow clan when they play their team at home, anybody else who's standing out Brit or young-wise that we should be keeping an eye on? Off the top of my head, Stenton's definitely the first one that jumps in my head. I don't know about Brit-wise. I would have said Cochrane um, when we saw him, but he's now gone. Obviously, he's way back to the, the SHL, um, and we don't really know the full story there either, with Clan holding on his, his papers. Um, but definitely, I would say Stenton. And I know he's not a Brit, but I'd also keep eyes on Starrett, because... I think, given the chance, he might become one of the best goalies in the league. Will do indeed. So, obviously, with the start of the season and everything, and the results have been been varied. Uh, although some good results against Nottingham, for example, and Belfast, as you mentioned. Overall, would you say that the performances of although the results haven't been where you probably like them to be, has the performance of the team been to the level that's kept the Purple Army happy? <laughs> Well, clan fans are never happy. That's our secret. <laughs> you know, we're here for a good time, not a sad time. Um, but I think genuinely, Purple Army are just glad to have a team, somewhat hockey to watch. I don't particularly know if some of the Fairweather fans are that bothered. I know that some of the diehards, they, <clears throat> there's cuts to the team that they'd like to see. They'd like to see you know, some players go. And then some um, better players brought in. I don't think anyone with where Clan are currently sitting and with all the issues we had at the start of the season, I don't think anyone has too many complaints. Ah, good stuff. So, final question. Um, I say I appreciate you giving me time to do this. Put you on the spot. Is Glasgow going to make the full season? And could we see them playing the final four in Nottingham? I mean, you'll see me for sure. I'll be there. <laughs> but the team, I reckon it'll be down to, you know, where we finish in the, the table. If it's, we were we were talking about this at the weekend. I reckon if we finish the mid-table, depending on who we get for the quarterfinals, depends on whether or not Clan will actually get there. Um, I'm quietly confident if we get a team like maybe Nottingham, we, we could get there. But maybe not as confident if we get someone like Belfast, Cardiff or Sheffield. 
fair play. Always good to uh, put the uh, the big brother away uh, and not them go out to play, as it were. Uh, <laughs> Derek, thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it, and uh, all the best. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. And next to join us for the sort of season review is we have a fan from the Cardiff Devils. Now, it, when I've been asking people, can you would you want to be like the voice of your club? I literally do have one of the voice. <laughs> Ice Time TV's Gareth Hewish joining us. Gareth, great to see you. Well, it seems like ages since we last said, but thanks for uh, giving up your time to uh, call on the podcast. Yeah, no problem, sir. I was delighted when I, uh, I had your invitation the other day, so it's good to catch up again. And um, yeah, it seems like a good, uh, best time to talk hockey, really. Lots going on. Absolutely. So we'll just jump in straight. Cardiff, the season so far, how would you describe it? Um, I think I would describe it as very positive. Um, we had a blip in December where I think a lot of fans got a little bit, uh, a little bit worried, maybe a, a little bit concerned about how, uh, you know, the fact that we've had a lot of changes, you know, has it worked? But I think, you know, you look at where we're at now, uh, very much in a title race, playing very good hockey, a coach that, has a smile on his face every week um, and a fan base that appreciates more than ever what they've got after being locked out for six weeks. Um, so very, very positive uh, so far. I think it's uh, above my expectation, uh, I, w- I would say, from, from what I thought might happen at the beginning of the season. Oh, that's good. And I'll, I'll jump, change back my, my, my order of questions. As you mentioned that, obviously, with the Welsh restrictions, it was a complete behind closed doors. Uh, and obviously, you were as, as we mentioned, you commentated for Ice Time TV. What was that like, commentating on a game of hockey with no one there, apart from the place? <laughs> um, I described it as we lost our soundtrack uh, to, to our stream. Um, you really realise, one, how much it helps your own performance to, to feed off that atmosphere. Um, you realise just kind of how how you watch the game differently. I know that sounds weird because it's the same game that's going on, but but you do. Um, case in point, perfect example, uh, we played Manchester and we uh, we scored a goal and straight from the face-off we scored another. I was looking at my notes, I completely missed the second goal. If I'd had a crowd with me at that time, I would have heard the sort of reaction of the crowd and kind of got right into it, but I literally didn't have time to do it and... It's just it's little things like that where you're like, yeah, there are conductors, there are our soundtrack. Um, it was fun for like the first 10 minutes because it was so eerie. Um, but I, I I would never, ever want to go back to it. I can imagine that. So one of the bits on the podcast that I love talking about is the CHL. And obviously you guys, again, um, had a stint in the CHL. Now, it's kind of a two-angled question. Obviously, unfortunately, you didn't have any preparation obvious reasons for us so it's a torment that you do need some game time before you jump into Alden Anaheim um, but so kind of from your perspective how, how did that CHL campaign go I mean okay I, I'm saying it's very as neutral as possible you, you didn't get out of the group stage I mean a tougher group than even the year before or the mm-hmm. season before when you played um, how, how was that CHL campaign for you guys in your take um, I think it's I think it's so difficult for British teams in the CHL to to learn lessons. 
And I think when you, we had a situation where we had been in the competition for three years with the same coaching staff, a lot of the same players, and I felt like we were starting to learn those lessons um, going, going in year on year, and it was a bit more optimistic. I think that's such a high turnaround of players, and as you say, not to get that preparation. We did have a tournament in Slovakia which fell through because uh, we couldn't travel. Um, and then we had, I think, about four guys go down with COVID protocols. We had to get Zach Sullivan in from Manchester to come and, and guest for us and stuff. And it just, I would have loved for the CHL to have started a month later. <laughs> I think it would have been great for us in that competition for us to have bonded a little bit more. Um, but what I do think it does is, is it, it bonds guys off the ice because there were, there was some traveling to do. There was that time to get together and, and learn a little bit about each other. Um, I'd say it, 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 this, this year's CHL was a, was a bit of a shame, a bit, a bit of an opportunity missed. But again, uh, I, I fully expect Scully to be coach again next year. If we do get at the CHL next year, which is obviously our aim, I think we'll learn more lessons and I, I think we'll improve again. Um, but we didn't embarrass ourselves again. You know, that's the other thing. We, we got our win. Uh, we, we, we prove that we can be competitive and any time that any team is in the CHL, all I pray for is that we're competitive and we show people that we should probably have more than one spot, uh, for the fan base that we take. And, you know, I, I think we, we, we represented the league well. Um, but yeah, I, I would have liked this to have maybe had a, a better preparation and a, a bit of a better look at it. And you're, suppo- you're saying, I was saying, I was going to, I'm missing that preparation for the CHL. But then on the flip side, it kind of then gives you the preparation for the Elite League season. So kind of having that time away when you did the, was it, it was Switzerland and Germany, memory says right? Yeah. So then, then kind of trips where you are on the road and you've nothing but to bond, kind of, Give you that jump to start the uh, the elite league campaign. Yeah, I think it, I think you saw that especially with um, Dixon, Reed, and Crandall as a line that sort of switched in straight away. I think you got the you know some savvy veterans there who kind of uh, managed to to stay fit and healthy during that time, and I think they they very much carried us in that early part. So yeah, I think there was positives for that, for that at the beginning. Um, it's just a shame a competition that big and when you're so desperate after so many attempts to just get to that next stage <laughs> that it have to be used as preparation in the end but you know I, I agree I think you have to take the positives uh, out of any uh, experience in Europe uh, I think I agree with what you're saying in terms of you know Cardiff having, and I don't think in fairness a team has embarrassed themselves from the, the Elite League even no. when you know when they've had the 8, 9, 10, 1 losses you know you're talking you're playing like the SHL champions, um, you know, a higher calibre team than, for example. So I agree. And I also, if you go to a regular two places in the CHL, um, just for your fairness, you know, the UK sort of engagement with the tournament. Yes. One of the few leagues actually really does, even if your team's not in it, buys into what the product is as a tournament. So, so going back domestically, um, can I ask what is your thoughts in respect of the fees you've had, Ben Bounds and uh, Tasmani? Is that correct? 
Yeah, I remember the back of the first. Yeah, that's the mad dog. Ah, so yeah, um, kind of flipped the coin three sixty. Went with two imports, so you were the first team, obviously, to do it. Um, what were your thoughts to that when it was announced? I um, when I yeah, I first found out during the summer. I was I was lucky enough to do some of the player interviews, and um, I was uh, I was told not to talk to Caruth about a backup because he's not having a backup; he's having a partner. <laughs> um. I thought it, I thought it was bold. I thought it was bold. Um, it made a lot more sense when we signed Ben O'Connor, which I wasn't expecting at the time. Um, you know, a, a Premier Brit coming in. Um, when I spoke to Matt Carruth, and when I spoke to people like Neil Francis about him, and uh, he's he's very, he's been he was taught by Peter Aubrey, who used to be a goaltender in Cardiff, and he's now a goalie coach for Chicago. He's in that system. Um, and he kind of told us about Caruth. And everything I heard about him suggested he was really highly competitive. And when you speak to him, he's, a, he's an intense guy. Like, he's got, he's got the eyes about him where he, he means business, even if he's doing an interview to tell you how much he means business. <laughs> he's got that, he's got that stare. And, um, I think without someone challenging Matt Caruth, I don't think you would get the best out of him. So I think on that basis, it was is a very good decision, and to have someone the standard of Taron Cozen as well, and I know you'll appreciate this with the two import goalies you have, it you don't you don't have that apprehension when you see the team sheet and see which goaltender's in, um, you know Cozen yesterday uh, made one of the best stick saves off the line I've seen in some time is. His reaction to it was incredible. It's on the highlights. I suggest everyone go and check it out. He, uh, he really bails out with nil-nil. And his record this year has been fantastic as well. Um, I, I don't think he's had a league loss. I think he's lost in the Challenge Cup, but I don't think Cozen's lost in the league. So uh, you have to say it's paid off. They're both looking fresh. Neither of them have, have picked up a knock. Paul Bounsey, I think, really, really pushed himself uh, when he was our goaltender to make every single game and I, I think, you know, at times probably shouldn't have played, but he was that kind of character, you know, he's a competitor. It was hard to ever tell him that <laughs> he had to stay down. But this year we got two guys who are fresh. They seem very, you know, cool with each other as well. They seem to have a real healthy partnership. So I think if, you know, the the way that there's a lot, a lot of talented bricks popping up uh, around the place, Bailey Hayward we've had on our books this year, so I think this space to, to carry on with the two import uh, goaltender route, I think is something that's worked for us, and I think it'll be something that I would be very surprised if we didn't delve back into next year. And kind of sticking with the conversation on, on goalies, is the kind of the conversation of who is the best uh, goalie <laughs> in the elite league, and we all think on, on the podcast it's probably the strongest year across all the teams. But the two names that crop up is, is CJ Mark. Rarely get Karouf in that conversation. Do you just think it's kind of a, especially just quietly going about his business, going up the rank in terms of being the best in the league, but just doing it on the quiet, but just, you know, as you mentioned, just keep doing what he's been doing. Because like, as I say, he's not in the conversation, surprisingly. I looked at his stats, and actually, for how many games he's played at the time, they are really good stats this season. Yeah. So, do you reckon it's very much a case of just doing his business and just doing it very quietly? 
Yeah, I think one thing about him, and it's something that it took myself and, and Ollie, who's on comms with me, to work out, is one of Carew's biggest strengths is his anticipation. And I think he makes a lot of saves look very simple. That actually, when you're looking at how the play's developed, you're like, why is he in that position? But he's just read the play and he's made the save. And when you've got a guy that's maybe understated like that, opposed to where CJ Mott probably faces more shots than Carruth does on a weekly basis. So, you know, take that away from Mott. I think he's fantastic. And I think that, you know, I, I would, if my, if Devil signed CJ Mott, I, in a heartbeat, be <laughs> absolutely ecstatic as I would Vesco Rani as well, you know, as I would pretty much up and down the, <laughs> the league, I wouldn't take a thing. But I think that Caruth is less flashy in that regard. I don't think he's, he's making those diving saves because he's always where he should be. And I think that is his strength. I think that is the, the foundation of his games. Anticipation, his reading of the game, his first class and, and, and one of the best I've, I've seen for a while. And, I guess lucky enough to do the job I do, we've been able to delve into that a little bit to be, uh, you know, why is Caruth performing as well as he is? And I think that's it. Ah, fair enough. So, away from the goalies, the one player that, outside of looking in, seems to be getting the headlines for his point production is Brody Reid. But from yourself, do you reckon there's anybody else within your team that probably should be getting as many headlines? Uh, if I was to pick a guy who I think would get my player of the year candidate now, it'd be Trevor Cox. Um, small guy, feisty guy, but I think across the year, even when we've been have when we had our little six game slump, he was the guy that was always trying something. He was the guy that was always trying to get the jump. He was the guy who was knitting together other guys to try and uh get them back up to where they should be. And I think you're looking at Samford and Kugler now trying to catch Brody Reed in that scoring race. They're doing so because Trevor Cox is being the guy who's doing all their dirty work. He's doing their skating for them. Not that they're not holding up much end of their bargain, but I just look back across the year and I think, who's been the most consistent? Who have I gone away from and gone, yeah, he's put in his 100% this year. And I'd say every single game, Trevor Cox has done that. And, uh, I think he'll, he'll be big for us down the stretch now. Oh, that's, that does sound good. So, a little bit of a theory of if you don't know the league and you come in blind and expect it to be as easy, you, you will be found out very quickly. And obviously, Jared Scald is one of the two new coaches who's not having experience of the UK hockey team. How, how do you feel he kind of settled into that, to the Devils and also the UK game? I think he he's... Very, very savvy. Um, I think he struck up a very early friendship with Neil Francis um, through the interview process and through uh, the recruitment that they did over what turned out to be 18 months <laughs> rather than six. Um, so I think to have a guy like Franny who's done it as a player, done it as a coach, you know, has seen the last 35 years of Devil's history, I think... Called, yeah, no, no uh, choice but to be drummed into him that, you know, three losses in October and maybe we're not lifting a trophy in uh, March and April, you know. So I really do think everything that Scully said during the summer, early part of the season, even now, 
he's very aware that that league title is is the one. You know, he'd love a Challenge Cup, he'd love a playoffs. We all would. We all uh, enjoy any trophy in this league. They're, they're difficult to win in their own uh, special ways. Um, but yeah, I, I, he got it. He got it. He very quickly and then you know embraced it as well. I think he embraced it to the new guys too, um, which was important because if you got. You know, even two or three guys that aren't quite getting it at certain points of the year, you're uh, you're playing catch up. And you mentioned it earlier in the interview, kind of. I suppose obviously with Andrew Law leaving full time uh, to go back to North America, and then the players that left. Do you reckon there was a fear that it would take longer than it has done for Cardiff to be as, as competitive as they have been over the last few years? Yeah, I think they, they have to be. They, they have to be a little bit of nervousness because when you're bringing in 12, 14 new guys, you, as much, you can do as much preparation and much background work as you want. That is a new locker room. That's a locker room that's ripe for new leaders to spring up. And, you know, when you've got a core of 14 guys, you're bringing in four you know that that locker room is going to be policed. You know that that locker room is going to have the same standards in it. Um, a guy can tell you all summer that he's going to bring it, but as you well know, we see plenty of guys turn up in the first weekend, and uh, they certainly brought it, but it's been from the buffet, or <laughs> they, they haven't uh, you know, held up their end of the bargain. Um, I think that's less and less now, as I think a lot of teams are more professional and more demanding, you know, guys like, you know, Aaron Fox aren't going to let that go on. And I don't think that Josh Wally has ever been, you know, I think his standards were set very early. But there was apprehension. And, and I'm really proud of the guys to, to be in a title race at the moment. Um, you know, we probably are third favourites based on games in hand and the way it is. But, you know, a lot can happen. Um, I think... This has to be massive credit, and the turnaround really was those six games behind closed doors, because that could have easily been used as an excuse. It actually was used as, I think, a catalyst for the guys to say, well, we've got nowhere to hide now. We're on that ice pad. Everyone's watching at home. We have to kind of deliver, and I, I feel like that team bonded, and I feel like Kugler coming in knitted Cox and Stanford together better and since that time we've had three steady lines so and that right now no concerns at all I think we're a top team I think we've got a chance of winning one or all three of anything that's on the line you know uh, it's, um, it's it's exciting time I'm really enjoying watching the style of hockey we're playing at the moment that's kind of half the battle if you enjoy the style because you can enjoy results and we've seen coaches um of all teams that get results, but the hockey is just, yeah, not as enjoyable. Um, so, so a question I'm asking every uh, fan um, is in terms of the up-and-coming people to watch out for. Now, you've got a guy that we got to see in Orange in the Elite Series, and <laughs> I am disgusted that he's wearing red. He should be still wearing Josh Waller. Really, real big fan of his... That may not know any of the Cardiff Juniors... To, to watch out for? Uh, the guy I, I'm looking at and, and came up um, in pre-seasons with skating with us is Bailey Haywood. Um, he's currently icing for Telford and he was with GB under-20s um, a couple of months ago for, for the tournament. 
got himself a few goals, a few assists. Um, he's the one at the moment. He really impressed during the summer, and he wasn't penciled in uh, before training camp to have any sort of involvement. But as soon as uh, Scholes took a look at him and, and Frank took a look at him, they were very eager to get him in. And he's um, he made a good, good few appearances early on in the season and, and looked very... Uh, very enthusiastic, bless him. And, uh, um, but he looks like he's got a lot of tools, a lot of tools to, to, to kind of mould. So um, I'm very excited to see if we can uh, we can develop him over the next few years. Brilliant. So last question, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Will Cardiff take any silverware this season? And if they do, what are they going to take? I would be disappointed if we didn't win one of the three trophies on on offer. So I'm going to have to say yes. I think we will uh, win one of the trophies that that, that we're in for. Um, that's just the the kind of mentality we've instilled in ourselves as a club. It's a disappointment if you lose. It's not it's, uh, it's not nice to lose. It's a horrible feeling. It's a feeling that sticks with you for days, months, sometimes years. After, not that I'm still bitter about 2010. Um, <laughs> Say nothing. Uh. <laughs> so yeah, I I honestly believe in this team that they have the ability to. Uh, if you're asking which one, <laughs> um, in the spirit of this debate, Dave, because you're because uh, I respect you so much, I will nail my colours to the mast. I think. Uh, I think we can make it a hat-trick of playoff wins. I wouldn't be surprised, sadly. Um, <laughs> if you do it, it'll be because you'll be the best team in the, in the playoffs, which you have done the previous times you won it. Gareth, thank you ever so much for, for giving up your time again. Uh, it's, been, it's been a joy to chat hockey with you again. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed this. So uh, anytime uh, you want to do it again, man, just hit me up and we'll, uh, we'll get it done. I'll take you for that offer. Thanks all again. And for the next person to um, come onto the podcast with uh, his thoughts on his team, we go across the Irish Sea to Belfast and we welcome Thomas Brownlee again on the podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, are we? I'm not too bad, thank you. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Hunkered down for this storm, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd rather be inside at the moment. There's absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll kick straight into it. Um, so... I suppose overall, you know, what's it what's it been like having hockey back at the SSC this year? Absolutely brilliant. Um, I think it's one of those things you don't realise just how much you miss it until it's gone. It's like it really felt like when you have the off season and by the end of it you're sort of like, I just want hockey back. But it was just because it was so extended. There was emotions, there was drinking, it was great crack. <laughs> <laughs> so a standard um evening at the, the Belfast Strike Center? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to hear that that's the standard, so when we go over, we, uh, we know what to expect. So, um, but results so far for the Giants, you know, suggest it's um, business as usual for Adam Keith's men, and uh, sort of, because given in 2022, you want to drop six six points in total, you know, performance-wise, has has that ma- matched the, the results? I, I think it's one of those things where... You, you know yourself with any sort of team chasing championships, you're going to have those nights where it is a grind, and you're sometimes dragging results out of nowhere. And I think that's been the case. There's some performances where you're you're sort of getting expecting 
more, but they're still coming away. The results, it's hard to be sort of negative in that sense, but you're also like, this team should be blowing them away. Like, this team is capable of so much more, and sometimes you're just like, come on. It's like, it's really, really nervy, and really, really, you're really anxious about the whole thing. But, yeah, like, it's only dropping six points. It's hard to have any real complaints. I think it's just the league this year is... You obviously have, you know, I think the points difference between sort of the top three and the rest of the teams, I don't think it really tells the whole story. There's teams picking points up out of nowhere sometimes. It's ridiculous. It's quite scary when you think like Nottingham are as close to 10th than they are to third. It's like, I don't yeah, think ever watching, and that's two points, uh, obviously in the uh, Super League it was three points. I don't recall ever being that type of a gap. Yeah. Out of either side of the, uh, the league as such, so it's it's crazy in that respect. Um, so, in respect to your guys, with a fair few new imports, and sometimes you get that kind of it takes a bit of a bit of time to settle in and get used to how things are. But looking at your guys, it hasn't been the case. Do you reckon it kind of helps having a coach like Adam Keith, who's been around for is it ten years now? Yeah, come on. You know, yeah. Do you reckon that helps? <laughs> do you reckon that as, as player and coach, but knows the British? Do you reckon that has helped the new guys just really hit the ground running? So I, I think it's one of those things where looking at how the league's sort of set up now, I think we're sort of coming to, I don't want to say the end, but it almost feels like there's been a progression where we had these guys who understood the league and they are pushing and pushing and pushing. And I think Adam Keefe has that sort of mentality where it's, it's a winning mentality and you have to have that. And I don't think it's always going to be every single player is going to like that sort of mentality of, we are here to win things. We are here to win every single uh, trophy going. And I get that some players maybe do want to just coast it. And I'm, I'm not saying any in our team specifically, you know, before people start throwing uh, pitchforks at me. But I think it sometimes takes the right coach to approach that and get people on side. And I think it's something that Adam Keith does with that sort of um, old school style of knows the league. But then you look at the, the uh, sort of coaches that are coming into the league your Foxes and your Malcolms, and it's like, what the, like, these guys have no concept of this league, and they are doing absolute ridiculous numbers with it, and it's like, out of nowhere, which is a completely brand new thing for this league, I think. So, so one of the guys that come back to the Giants, but isn't uh, uh, sort of estranged to the Giants, is Tyler Basquarini. Um, yeah. And he looks like he, again, another one that's just hit the ground running. But does it feel like he's actually left the Giants, kind of, and not had that year in, in Slovakia where he kind of, sometimes you see players have returned and, and I'm sure Belfast had the same thing where a guy's had a great season, gone away to earn, who's earned a good contract, come back and just not being the same. But it doesn't feel like that with Besko or any of this year. No, I, I think, uh, like, Besko has come back and he is absolutely killing it. He, Honestly, it's one of those things when you have a sort of a good goalie, the rest of the team in front, you know, they don't necessarily have to step up. He will steal you games. And I think that's sometimes the difference between that sort of goalie compared to some others. There's goalies will win games and then there's goalies that absolutely steal games. And I think Besco sort of falls into that category where he'll pull out a ridiculous save out of nowhere and everyone's like, how did that even happen? And I think that's just sometimes... Absolutely phenomenal, and I was absolutely thrilled when he was one of our sort of earliest signings and thrilled to have him back. 
I'm going to say I would not turn him down if he ever wanted to come to South Yorkshire any way, shape, or form. But uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's hard to that, my friend. But uh, um, but on the flip side as well, does it help having a kind of a stronger backup? And obviously this year you've got Jackson Whistle, who's maybe not a backup in the traditional sense, but as good, you know, as good. So that's going to push him and keep him on his toes throughout the season. Yeah, like with obviously hasn't got many chances just because of the nature of it, you know, you're always going to lead off with, like, you're not going to bench Besco to run even the likes of Whistle. But I've always maintained, as far as Bert goalies go, Whistle is probably about, you know, sort of the top level you're going to get at the moment. And he's been absolutely phenomenal. Any game he's got to come into, he's been great. And you can't fault him. And I'm sure for him it's a bit frustrating knowing I have to compete with Tyler Bescrow, on I? And that's just the nature of the league, unfortunately. And he does a job when he has to come in, he's doing a job. And I think for from a development point of view, he's been he's had like experience um in a couple of different teams now. But getting to sort of sit on the bench with the likes of Besco, you know, and watch Besco, it's things that he can learn from then, as far as I'm concerned. No, it's very much it's the argument of, of the Brit players where they get to train with the guys who've played 100, 200 games plus in the show where they get to learn what did they do to, to get them type of numbers. Yeah, where is that level? How do I get to that level? Yeah, it's, it's not as much the stuff on the ice in that, as fast as it sounds. But uh, outside looking in at your guys, and I hope I pronounce his surname correctly, picking it, uh, and Conway have been getting the headlines for you guys, but... Anybody else who you'd say would just as deserving of the headlines for your guys so far this year? I well, I'm always biased, so I'll always say Mark Garside every season. Um, but I, I also think like the likes of Kieran Long. Kieran Long busts himself every single shift. He will give a hundred percent in every single shift and every single chance he gets. And truth be told, he doesn't get that many chances. But he is absolutely busting himself every shift. I also think the likes of um, Lewis Hook, again, it's all, it's all these Brit players who are absolutely stepping up. Lewis Hook is absolutely top level as far as I'm concerned. And you also then have the likes of ones that maybe started off the season a bit slower, the likes of Tyler Soy, Slater Doggett, who, again, have managed to absolutely jump up another level to really, really make that team so much stronger. And I think it's just been a complete game changer across the lines when you have those guys actually firing as well. No, that, that sounds good. You mentioned the Brit players. Um, two in particular, I've noticed um, for a particular reason, uh, BT and Stewart's kind of the first crop of guys have come through the junior uh, yeah. giant system. Um, as a Belfast fan, how, how good is it to... to Get start to see some players from that local system start representing the uh, the senior seven. That's not me having to go in any field. I'm just seeing them finally get through and getting the debut. So how does how does that as a Belfast fan see in essence your own make the cut? I I think for me it's it's very much a case that they're doing what I could never do. They're getting to represent my team on the ice, and that's just something that I would never have had the opportunity to do and never could do. And to actually see people that have gone through our system as not, because um, we don't have the sort of obviously facilities that they would have across across the water where, 
you can have people in the other sort of leagues and there is a bit of a development there. But they actually see those them those guys stepping up and I think for the thing the most impressive thing is when they were getting shifts they didn't look out of place. You almost didn't notice them, and the only reason we noticed them is because we're looking out for them. Like, there they are, there they are, look at them. <laughs> and it's it's really a case of they fit in and they're working, and you don't really notice them. And I think that's sort of testament to the fact that they're, you don't notice them because they're playing the game right. And it's absolutely thrilling, and hopefully in the future we'll start to see more uh, kids coming through that system and at some point put on the jersey and be permanent fixtures of the team. I think that's the dream to have more local lads being permanent fixtures instead of coming in for games here and there. But what an absolute achievement for the both of them and it can only get uh, better from there. Uh, very much so. And obviously we mentioned them too. Are there any other um, local guys that have had the other parents that we should keep an eye out on? Um, a couple of uh, a couple of sort of um, I've got a couple of lines out. Uh, Carter Hamill is one to look out for. In fact, the both the Hamels are the ones to look out for. And there's also a kid called Andrew Dixon. You look out for him. He's very good. <laughs> I'll remember that name. Uh, so, <laughs> question for you. Um, is it as simple as whoever wins the five-game series between Sheffield and Belfast um, goes on to win the league title? No, um, I was actually thinking about this um, as I was coming in the door there. Uh, I was, you know, doing some sort of prep, and I was, I was sort of thinking, um, Sheffield will probably be sort of looking at this from the point of view it is entirely in their hands. I don't think, I think, as far as Sheffield are concerned, if they get a split weekend, if they split the rest of the games, I think they'll be sort of looking to say, "Yep, that's it done." On the flip side, I think from a Belfast point of view. It's still very much in our hands, but we just have more work to do when it comes to Sheffield. There's been more. We've only played the one game against Sheffield, and it was an absolute massacre. And I can't see. Well, I can't see that repeating. The chance is always there. It could go the same way. And I don't think a split week or a split uh, series is enough for us to, you know, win the league. I think we need to take. I would. Say, I would sort of say be at least eight point eight, um, eight or ten. The the sort of even take it to the last weekend or take it to the last um, game and I suppose the, the two games December being cancelled put towards the end of it it kind of probably gets as, as exciting a running as the Elite League's had for quite some time like that's it I, I think even from like a fan point of view and a neutral point of view we don't like obviously we don't get the sort of um, playoff series here but I think that's about as close as you're going to get the proper playoff series hockey as you will get in the Elite League and as exciting as it is, I can't even thinking about it, it's making me feel sick. You know, it's it's gonna be it's so late in the season where, you know, it goes wrong for one team or the other. There's no there's nowhere for them to then recover up. I think for both teams it is really just a case of you can't be sort of even looking that far ahead. You need to focus on the next game that's coming up and if I think if any team starts to drop points, the the thing is it still keeps Cardiff in it as well. I know they're sort of um have so many more games in hand, but Sheffield and Belfast start dropping points. They split that. They split that series. Cardiff can be right back in that mix just as easy, and you know, making an, an absolute nuisance of themselves at the best of times. Absolutely, <laughs> that's one way of uh, of putting the devils. Uh, so, final question, <laughs> and um, putting you on the spot. 
are Belfast going to win any silverware? And if they are, yeah. what are they going to win? Um, league and the cup. Which one? The Challenge Cup. I think I still think playoffs. Um, the one game series. I never ever doubt um, either Sheffield or Cardiff in a one game uh, series and a one game uh, trophy. And I think that's going to be sort of the cider. I would also say if we go to the go to the final of the Challenge Cup and don't win it, then we'll take the playoffs. <laughs> I think it's, I, I just want to win everything. That's the problem. Um, but I, I, I would say I'm going to put us down for a, um, a league cup double. Well, we'll, we'll see how it goes uh, when we look at the, uh, the end of April. That's the only thing, thing I could gamble. Like this would be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, thank you very much for giving up your time uh, to join us on the Absolutely podcast. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Absolutely not a problem. More than happy. So coming back from uh, from those interviews uh, again. It seems weird saying this because we've literally just carried on from where we were, but thank you to everybody for doing those interviews. Um, much appreciated. Like we say, we do like to try and give a, a perspective kind of across the board, uh, and it's always good to get some other fans uh, involved. So I think something that we'll probably look to do more in the future, even if that's just kind of one interview in an episode, that kind of thing. Um, let us know if that's something you'd like, to be fair, because uh, we do like to build content based on what, what people enjoy. Um, but anyway, yeah, we'll move on to the next thing. And the next thing, in fairness, I think will be quite amusing for us to discuss. Um, I think Gref tagged it as Coventry Blaze announcer gets thrown out for wearing his footlocker uniform. Uh, it is, of course, uh, announcer gate. Um, I'll throw it straight over to you, boys. Well, yeah, I'll start because here I give it the good title as well. So... We're all sat, obviously, we're, we're all sat watching Steelers v Storm, I think it was. Or was it Steelers Clan? Yeah, Clan. Yeah, and then obviously we're all on our phones checking scores, and then next minute we're going, one minute. Commentary Blaze and Alice have been chucked out. For what? Because <laughs> obviously this is something you don't really hear of often. You know it's a, a thing, but you, you don't really hear of it. Then obviously, more word gets out. You see tweets from the person that got chucked out, the announcer. Although he technically did, he got chucked out of the box. He didn't get chucked out of the actual game itself. So they had to get someone else over to do the announcing. I can see why he would have done it. Obviously, you. Yeah, the team that you're there supporting, you're working for, are losing pretty badly from what it sounded like. And then you're like, you know, let's get these fans cheered up. Let's get them riled up because we need, obviously, a home atmosphere. You're, cheer- you're getting the other crowd cheering. That can sometimes turn the game over. Because your players will be wanting to try and win it for them. But yeah, he's not liked a few of the calls. Said it, he'll... He got his jersey out, put it on and said he'll help out. Then obviously the referees come over and gone. Not like that. Off you pop. Pretty much like that. And then obviously... After word got out of all that, pretty much everyone in the league was like, what on earth going on here? So which then spiral cased into a lot of tweets 
on social media from both the official and the announcer, to which one of the officials has now deleted their Twitter account as well. It's strange. I, don't, I can't remember the last time I actually seen this actually happen, but you can probably see why it's from the rest perspective, well, the officials perspective, why it's ha- why they've gone off your pop, and why the announcer's gone. Actually, I'm gonna get some enjoyment into this game for our fans. So, um, the ring announcer John Danzel. Um, he saw a spare ref shirt from where they commentate from. They have a box. I've only done researching on one of the forums where it's if they need to get an emergency goal judge before goal judges were taken away or they didn't wear the ref shirt. So it was it was there. He's seen it in the corner of his eye. He's gone, oh, let's have some fun. And then he's gone, has anybody got a whistle that would come by so I can go on the ice and tell him, you know, help out with the officiating? It's funny. There's a line crossed. Um, you will remember the names definitely, Griff. I'm not sure Joe will. And the last one I remember being thrown out of ring camp so was uh, 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 Bavi down in Basingstoke for and it was the referee was Nigel Boniface. What a name! No, no, oh, heard that name for a good while. Good old Nigel Boniface. He was an interesting ref. Um, so for me, Danzel is. An official of that game. As a ring announcer, you're an official. You have a line that you need to stay on the right side of at all times. Didn't. So I have no problem with, from the laws of the game perspective, I have no problem with Argar throwing him out of the, of the game scenario. He did help out clearing up Chuckabuck as well, as it turned out. So Coventry got the money as worth out of him, so that's not a problem. Um... To me, Halfby wants to go, could Hogarth have seen the lighter side of things? But at the same time, if an official live is calling out the ability of another official of that game, it's not a good look. It doesn't have... You shouldn't see it. Have a discussion you know, behind closed doors. Say, I disagreed with that whatsoever. Because between the four walls, and anybody wants to run quickly onto the Twitter accounts and post all oh, this had a discussion, it's completely different to a microphone in front of two, two, two to three thousand people. Um, now, Hogarth's response um, was amazingly timed, given Lee Young, who was one of the officials of that game, uh, tweeted saying that they'd been threatened in the car park after that game. Which is massive no-no. Don't go down that line. So timing-wise, when uh, Hogarth responded to to Danzel's tweet, and again that was as bad. He should have kept that to um, go into the DMs and just go. Yeah, you want you want to have some fun? We'll do it in private. So, not the best of looks. I can imagine Hogarth may not see Coventry to referee a game for a while. Just to let things really calm down. But, no, I don't think anybody really come out of the whole scenario looking decent. So, I think we can agree it wasn't a good weekend for Hogarth for a start. Um, 
the, the, the brief history to it, I'm going to find a way of saying this without actually divulging what was said, because if you, if you want to look, you can, you can probably do a quick Twitter search and find out. Saturday night in Sheffield, Hogarth has some issues. Start of second or third period, he's coming on the rink and he gets tapped on the head and called a name, shall we say. Not an appropriate name for us to repeat on this podcast. So not a good start, not a good day one of the weekend. Hogarth um, actually stopped... As you say, stop the game. It was the start of the period, but he refused to start the period until said fan had been thrown out. I'll actually add into that. Apparently, said fan was seven years old. So that shows you the level of what was said, because I can't imagine most comments would have been taken that seriously from a seven-year-old. But as I say, I'm not going to comment on what it was. Um, then, next day, you hear this has gone on. So I imagine the, the, the night before in Sheffield probably rolled over a little bit for Hogarth. Imagine he probably wasn't in the best of moods already. Um, and then, obviously, this happened. Um, now, obviously, he's thrown out of the game. Like you guys say, I, I can't have any issue with him being thrown out of the game. I also don't have any issue with him necessarily saying it on a basis of... As rink announcer, part of his remit is to try and make the game entertaining for the fans. They were losing heftily to Guildford. Doesn't, by the way, excuse the fact that he's called an official out. However, if you look at this from a fan's perspective, if I was a commentary fan at that game and I saw that fa- that, that happen, I would be going back to the next game. I would come out of that game going, we lost 5-1, but that was hilarious because that's what you see as a fan. You don't look at it from the other perspective. And, you know, we can sit here now, try and put as neutral caps on and say it wasn't right. As a fan at a game where you feel you've got the bad end of the calls, that's a hilarious incident. As a fan. So I can kind of understand that. It kind of goes back to a similar thing of, like, Paul Thompson throwing the sticks on the ice in commentary to try and rile up the players. It's that kind of, you know it's wrong, you know you might get thrown out of the game for it, but you've got to do something to try and lift spirits. You've got to do something to try and motivate. In Paul Thompson's case, it was to motivate the players. In in this case, it was to, to rile up and, and give some entertainment to the fans. I agree, Hogarth possibly could, could be accused of not seeing the lighter side. However... When you're trying to ref a game, and boys, we've all said this before, uh, and Dave, you and I at least have, have refed our fair share of games. Ref, I think you've possibly refed one or two at, at tournaments and things like that. It's not an easy job. And I, I certainly wouldn't want to be one of the officials on the ice at a Steelers game. Because, you know, I know we throw our fair share of, of child-friendly abuse at the referees, of course, keeping with the hockey family atmosphere. But... You know, you've got an arena full of people screaming at you for every call you make, don't make, could have made, whatever. So it's not an easy job. So to then have someone with a microphone call out the calls that you've made, but actually maybe in your own head you're starting to doubt whether or not you're making the right calls. I can see why he was thrown out. And if you look at the, the definition of abusive official for a player, it's any attempt for a player to, I think they use the word usurp, it's, the, it's any attempt for a player to undermine or usurp the authority of the official I think we can all agree that putting a referee shirt on and asking anybody if we've got a whistle kind of falls under that that definition of undermining the referee so no issues there Um, yeah just just a bizarre incident Um, like you guys say it then moves on to Twitter Um, I think Hogarth tweeted something initially about potentially contemplating retiring because he doesn't want to do it anymore he doesn't want the abuse he's a human he gets so much abuse as a human uh, you know, he can only call what he can see, blah, blah, blah. 
Lee Young then also tweets to say, the abuse to officials has got to stop. We're human, we make mistakes, we don't deserve the abuse that we get. The retweet from Hogar then said something along the lines of, um, get some sleep, number one, I think he said at first. I remember remembering that because it's a bizarre start to the tweet. Um, he then calls out the, the announcer at Coventry uh, and says, maybe when I... It's something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing this, maybe when I threw that tool out in Coventry, he could go back doing some good at the job centre, um, helping out Coventry's unwashed or something like that. I can't quite remember how he phrased it, but it was something along those lines. The word unwashed was definitely used. Um and then obviously, all of a sudden, we're kind of sending screenshots to each other at this point going, have you seen this going on on Twitter? And then all of a sudden, he's deleted his Twitter account. So I think the Coventry, Coventry announcer has screenshotted it and tweeted it to the Elite League saying, your, your move, Elite League. I'm going to ask this to you guys because I don't, don't really think we need to comment on this all that much. It kind of speaks for itself in terms of it shouldn't have been said Um you know, the, the stance very much stands for itself. Hogarth can't ref another commentary game. No way. No way. For multiple reasons. The first is the level of abuse that he'll get from the fan base. He'll not go and ref another commentary game because of that. The second thing is because anybody who wants to accuse him for any bias towards commentary has just got themselves a whole heap of, of evidence of that. Maybe not in the past, but they certainly have for the future. If he can't ref another commentary game, can the league really employ him as a referee? Yes. There were certain assignments in Scotland needed assistance. It should predominantly, apart from the odd weekend, keep him away from commentary. I'd agree with Dave on that one. Also, trips to Belfast. Also, keeping away from keeping him away from commentary would be better, would be a good, great idea. Even more so, considering you'll probably get the odd idiot or two that will actually try and find his car or something and then stay there. God, do you want to say that about my about my city now? That could get back. Then it gets to physical violence rather than just abuse. That doesn't do well for the league itself anyway. Yeah, it doesn't do well for anyone. So then that comes to a police matter then. See, I, I, I disagree. I don't. I just don't think he can refer. I don't think uh, this is in an ideal world because I know understand the situation as well as it's not like we're blessed with a million and one competent refs. You go as, to, as far as you want, and I'm sure some people will be laughing at the fact that some refs are deemed as competent. You go, you knock yourself out with that. I just don't think he can, because the thing is, he's aired his he's aired his bias against Coventry now, and they have evidence of that bias. What's to say he doesn't already have that bias to say Sheffield for the incident that happened the night before? What's to say that something happens in a Belfast game and he doesn't have bias against Belfast? or in a Dundee game and has bias against Dundee. The problem is, for me, once he's compromised in that respect, he's lost all his authority as a referee. 
if you're telling him he can't ref one game because he might be biased in that game for previous incidents, then you're acknowledging that he has bias and that he might be biased and that he doesn't have the ability to separate incidents off the ice with the next game. It's a valid point. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, the only way you can realistically, I suppose, not prove, but justify either way, he has another game, obviously not involving commentary. Um, you don't tell him that he's been monitored and reviewed internally, externally. So someone at the game, the video goes to, and you just kind of, you know, properly evaluate his ability. Now, as much as I recently haven't been a fan of his man management, what you can't before the weekend just gone, what you can't take away from is his ability because the WHF have recognised that by giving him international um, events. And you have to have a level of ability to be able to do that. So as much as I don't agree with some of it, again, most at refs will um, get rid of more knowledge, shall we say, than most fans will ever know. Yeah, that's fact. Um, they do the study and they do the, they spend the time to be a level of refereeing, and that's fact. I can definitely see where you're coming from in terms of once you say one, what's to say there's not another. Uh, I suppose proofs in the pudding. Yeah. And in the ideal world, you would allow that scenario. And I know where in the NHL they had the incident with Tim Peel. Tim Peel. Thank you. Um, but they have a number of refs who are, to their level, competent and, and able to go, right, see you, love you, bye. We don't. So I suppose the only thing we can do is to monitor him and go, right, watch your games. I don't even tell him. Just, you monitor. Every so often. By the way, here's your reviews. And if you feel, as a league, you go, actually, there's more to it. Actually, because of this incident, there's a bit more perception of bias. You then make decisions from there. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I'd say my, the, the stopping from refereeing was a, a comment in an ideal world. And like I said, no, we're not left with a million and one referees. Um, but it's the whole thing. One thing as an official, you need to have that. But as you mentioned, you have to have that authority. Yeah. And. You lose it when, as both you and Griffin mentioned, when when you start making comments and you start giving perception advice, you lose that authority. So, in all fairness, he goes into the next commentary game. He calls a dubious call. The captain of the commentary goes, well, how do I know you're not calling it because you don't like us? Yeah. Oh, by the way, I've seen that you don't like us. You know, why are you, why are you giving us a penalty? Because we're the unwashed. Yeah. It's a, it's a petty line. But it's a line you can see being used. Or you could get Coventry going, we've got Hogarth as the ref. Right, we're not playing. We're not turning up, we're not coming on the ice. Yeah, it'd, also, it'd also go the other way as well, in fairness. If I was the other team and I had a dubious call made on me, the flip side argument to that is, well, you're just doing that to try and make up for what happened before. Do you know what I mean? It's not It's not even just Coventry. It's, it's the flip side of the team playing as well. Um I mean, we'll, we'll see these boys, and you know, and, and we'll we'll kind of, I think, draw a line under this point with kind of the upside of it. We'll say this straight away: none of us 
will endorse any any point of abuse um, to the officials of that point. We've all been at games, we've all shouted a, a fair, fair share of abuse at referees. That's okay to an extent when you're in the stands, you shout it in the heat of the moment, at the time, you disagree with something, fair enough. We've said, I'm sure, before when we've had our millions of conversations about social media, the line is crossed from a fan's perspective when you're tweeting that referee directly, let alone when you're offering to meet him outside, whatever. Even if you want to tweet at the end of a game and say, don't agree with the officiating, that was a terrible call, whatever. There have been multiple incidents that I've seen where people have tagged said official indirectly, and that's the point for me where the line's drawn and the line's stepped over. It's not just, like, officials, it's players as well and coaches. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as the game finishes, there you leave it there. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's a game. It's two to three hours of escapism. Yeah. You know, we can all say, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I, I tweeted last night. I, I thought um, a particular call was uh, poor. Yeah. I think it was a bit poor, but that was a goal. Was that the, the, the uh, disallowed goal by any chance? Maybe. Um, you know, you, you can you can have your pin on a call because you say, I don't think that call's correct. That's, yeah. that's not at that person. You know, although it's not the person making it, you're on about the actual call. Once you start making it about the person, that, like you said, there's your line. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is the thing. And, um, and boys, again, to, to put a, an upspin on it, yes, we've all had our complaints about officials in the league. Yes, we've got our list of officials where you look at it and go, God, today's going to be weird. God, today's going to be, a, you know, a dreadful... It's be a tough game. <laughs> yeah. God, we might not get all the calls that we want. If anybody honestly believes that the level of officiating in the elite league is substandard, sub-other leagues, go and watch some non-elite league hockey. Don't go and watch the NHL or the AHL. Yeah, even go and watch the Olympics or go and watch the World Champs oh. or go and watch some European League. I'm sure the... the if there are Cardiff and Belfast fans that are listening, or Steelers fans, we've all part partaken in recent European competition, and I'm sure we've had our fair share of complaints about the officiating there, and I would say it's a damn sight worse than the officiating we see in, in domestic league. You boys will have seen it out in, in various trips to World Champs games. I've seen it on the, on the TV in various World Champs games. You look at it and you go, Jesus, that's a terrible game. Terrible call. Oh, just the Olympics that, that's currently happening. Two-minute minor for a check to the head. Yeah. Two plus two for headbutt. Was there a five-minute for elbowing, but not a five-plus yeah. game? Yeah. It was just a five-minute. Yeah. And you're like... How? What? <laughs> How? Uh, okay, at the Olympics, it's not the best of the best, but the world champs is. You would expect the officiating to be there. Do you know what I mean? You, the oh, yeah, might not be. You'd I think the have just got the officials that are able to get over, not any, not any man in the dog, but just whoever is at a level to get across to be able to do the games. Yeah. Um, do you think those rules would be in place everywhere, though? Because most places go under the IIHF rulebook. Yeah. Headbutt is five game. Mm. Check to the heads, either. No, check to the heads, five Five game. Five game or two plus ten? Never a two minute minor check to the head. No. Yeah, same as elbowing. Two minutes or five yeah. game. Five game if it resulted in injury. 
it's, this is what I mean. Like, you know, we'll all have our fair share of complaints about officiating in the Elite League. The first thing to say, and it's a very, very cliched thing to say, is genuinely, if you're going to tweet the official, if you're going to go over that line and complain more than you should do, first thing you need to be remembered straight away, and as I say, it's cliche to say, without them, we've got no game. You're never going to agree with every call made by a referee, ever. It's not a prayer. That's just because different people's interpretations of a different event are different, naturally. You know, and, and sometimes you'll see one referee call something for roughing, but other referees won't. We had one the other day, a few weeks ago in Sheffield, where there was basically a borderline fight behind the net. Two players stood and squared up for a good 30 seconds before they moved on. The referee had obviously decided he was happy to let that go. Other referees wouldn't. You know, prime example. But the level of officiating we have in this country isn't as bad as we. And I know, I'll, I'll say it to us, I mean, for, you know, when we're in the stands, we as a four, as well as we as a, as a league collectively, the level of officiating isn't as bad as we would give it credit for in certain instances. No. I mean, some, like I say, when, when we have multiple times this weekend, just gone over mind season, have questioned in unique stand, unique methods as to the management of games. But now you're absolutely right. Some of the officiating that I've been lucky to see at 1B, never mind the officiating that Greffel seen 1A upwards being 1B. Oh, God, there's some stinkers that do it. And they are, but it's just, you kind of go, well... Um, I'll, I'll end it on two things from my perspective one thing I kind of look at when there's an incident and I think I've, I've mentioned it to you Joe before and Gref before is I look for where the officials are yeah and I, I picked it up when I did um, audio commentary many years ago because I'll be honest with you as I got to the game as a fan you, you kind of go oh that's terrible that's my view but what was the officials view what, where, where, how did he see it? Was there anything blocking his view? Was there anything that could made 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 him miss something? And that kind of gives you a, an attempt to go. I think that's poor. What was his view? Has he missed it? And like you said before, Joe. I mean, I remember there was one years ago. I missed a blatant elbow to the face, and it actually broke the guy's nose. And I missed it because there was just something that happened, and my my concentration following the game passed it, and I completely missed it. The kid should be thrown out. Um, and it did a proper, did him a proper job on his nose. Um, so it can happen. Um, so I think if anybody listens, try that. Try and see where the referees were. If if there was some point where they could have missed it, whether it's the guy nearest to it or the first one, add that to your rationale. The last point I will say though, with a lot of the tweets I think, you replace John Danzel with David Sims. What's it? What's collective? What's the reaction? Maybe a damn sight worse than what it has been. Oh yeah, the pitch always out. Just before we throw it back to Gref, because I, I, I completely, I do the exact same thing. I try and look at where the referees are. Um, I mean, we had the flip side one where we both stood up. Went, how does that ref not called it? But that ref's called it. You, you see it from both ways. Oh yeah, it kind of make you question certain calls. It makes you realise about others. The other thing you've got to think is if you think there's something te- really bad that's happened, and I'm talking 2 plus 10, 5 plus game territory, we don't review 5 plus games in this league. Go right to the top level. 
Which back to a few years ago in the NHL playoffs, something that really actually caused the reform in the way that the league look at it. Referee called five plus game on a cross checking call in the San Jose um, Vegas game, wasn't it? Playoff game. I think the Vegas win or did San Jose win? I can't remember exactly which way it was. Vegas won. No, Vegas, San Jose won because Vegas were three one up. Yeah, that's it. So it ended up happening where the referee gave five plus game for cross checking on an incident that actually, when you watch it back, was not a cross check in the slightest. But the referee made a call on what he'd seen. Nothing wrong with that at all. Vegas scored, was it two to tie it and then win it in OT, or was it three to win it? I can't remember. Either way, they scored X amount of goals on the five-minute power play, went on to win the game. I think it was game seven, or it ended up in the game, in the, in the, in the playoff series, decided anyway. Yeah, game seven. seven. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. And that decided the whole game it decided who went through to the next round because the referee made a call on what they'd seen and called a five plus game the AHL now review every five plus game penalty for that reason we don't do that and our officials aren't going to be quick to jump to a five game and if you see something that you think that's disgusting he should be out of the game we've all done it we've all stood there in the stands going he should be out he should be shown the door that's fine but actually the officials also thinking, am I 100% sure on that? Because if I'm not, that might just decide the game. Yeah, it was Cody Eakins uh, got a five-minute major, just looking at that. And San Jose scored four goals in the third period to win it. Yeah. But yeah. You, having... For me, I think it's more... I think... This was probably asked as well in our chats before the start of the season. Are we can referees check penalties? And I think the the reason behind it was I guess more down to money. I think it's gonna you gotta get more cameras in to buildings, and obviously. Some buildings like yourselves, you can get as many cameras in as you want. Yeah. But then you've got buildings like what, Fife, Ars, Guildford. You had to throw Fife in before his own, didn't you? You had to throw Fife in before Manchester. I just think of the three, three rinks that get classes probably the worst. <laughs> the flip side, he's compared Manchester to Fife. True. True. Mm. So that's where the problem comes with in our league where we can't actually review your five-minute call penalties, your game misconducts, your match penalties, or even offsides like you do in the NHL now. Those can't be in the NHL now, aren't they? Wow. Oh, they're beautiful. I mean, if can get if teams can get the money for it, or all teams can get the money for it, and can get them in play, brilliant. But I don't really think in our rink anyway. I don't think you'd be able to for certain because it's going to be on the same sight line as someone that's in that block. So I, unless of course every rink had to be an arena which isn't really going to work out. No. 
you take the league down to 14. Yep. It's a, a, that'll be great, but yeah, that won't work out. The, the, the first step for our league, we've gone into a serious tangent here, boys, but it's just quite a good discussion. <laughs> the first step for our league, and this is the first thing that I'll say, I don't support bringing it in to review every penalty, and the NHL will draw the line at five plus games. I think it's five plus games or plays resulting in an injury, I think is, is where the NHL is. I think that's the reason the five plus game was given on Ekin, was because the play resulted in an injury as well. So the referee thought he'd seen the cross chain, saw the injury, added two and two together and gave the five plus game. <laughs> So they can certainly check the high stakes. Yeah. But they can't check every... The reason they've stopped it at that is because if you give too much control to review the penalty, you then start to unintentionally undermine the referee. The referee will start to second-guess themselves because every penalty will be checked. You think how much longer a, a game would be if every call was video-reviewed like the goals that we see now. You can have goal reviews that take four or five minutes. Imagine that being on a penalty. All of a sudden, you're going to add an extra hour to the game. So that's the thing. I think the, the next step for our league, if we were going to look to do it, we brought in the offside cameras for the Elite Series. If you remember, there was an offside call that was reviewed. I think it was a Coventry game. I can't remember who they were playing. The first step is to bring it in for playoffs and to bring it in for the Challenge Cup final. There's two events that are freestanding. They're not going to go to any other game. It's not like it's a two-leg game. You make that, it affects both teams equally. So bring in a camera on the blue line. You should have enough cameras realistically in at least playoffs. But, you know, Challenge Cup final. If there's enough cameras in the building, start to review five plus games. That's the first step for the league. They can then start, if they want, to look at to install offside cameras in every game ring. They can then look, if they want to install more cameras in each ring so they can start to review those five-plus games. But just start to do it for the big events. Because that's the biggest thing. It's okay, five-plus game in a league game. You might lose the game because of it. You've lost a league game. Different to the playoff final. So it'd be interesting, actually, because you basically made those steps. And they also did the review thing, didn't they? They um, had, like, an external review where if a goal was given or a goal wasn't given and it went in, they reviewed it, and then if it was a goal, they played the, the goal horn to call it a goal. So I think they're making the steps there. I don't know if there's any intention to do that this year, but... but they're the things, especially with the playoff final, that could be the difference between not only winning the cup, but also getting European action. Yeah. So it's all the added ben- all the add-ons that comes with the, that decision that could go either way. Yeah. Anything else to add on this, boys? We went off on a serious tangent from that uh, gate to this, but I think quite a valid kind of discussion to be had because you always look to try and parallel the NHL. I guess that's your, that's your yardstick, isn't it? So, anything else on this? Seeing shaking heads. So, we'll move on to the next thing. Um, at the risk of sounding like Harry Hill with the TV highlight of the week, um, we, we had to mention this. Gref, you were at the game with us. Even you said we had to mention this as a Manchester fan. And I sat laughing my head off. Oh, we were, we were all audibly laughing. That was the worst part. Dallas Earhart, behind the goal, in front of the White House, at the arena, completely blows a tyre. I have no idea how. No one around him just falls over, pretty much face plants the boards behind the, the net. And it's just absolutely incredible. We, we, you know, we've been more audible about our... Um, reservations about Dallas Earhart, shall we say. We didn't have him on our 32-man roster for, for GB. Um, 
<laughs> it was just quite funny to see um, a blowout completely just deck it in front of six, 7,000 people. Yeah, just brilliant. And then also to blow a tyre on the blue line moments afterwards as well. Just fantastic. It's like he scored, to which obviously you just hated that even more because it was Dallas that scored it. But then it's like, you know what? I've done something good. Here's two things to make us all laugh. I think when he scored, it's like, like, oh, great. It's it's kind of giving with one hand and taking with the other. So he take with the goal, but he gave the entertainment. Yeah, basically, yeah. I think my first words to you, Greg, when they scored was I'm going to the toilet and to the bar. I was like, I'm done, that's it. <laughs> but yeah. No, just an amusing thing that I think we uh, we instantly knew needed to be mentioned on the podcast. Have we got anything else on that one? It's not really a, a talking point. It's more just of a highlight. Um, the next thing, boys, is, is another discussion. I think we're, 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 we're spoiling all the listeners today with the... Uh, the discussions that we're having. I've mentioned this previously, something that I think we need to talk about, uh, which is top net minders in the league. Said previously that if any of the nine teams, not Steelers, if we signed any of their goalies next year, I wouldn't be disappointed. And as the league goes on, I, I kind of come more and more to that conclusion, I think. And Starrett was obviously the goalie that was least tested in terms of games that we'd seen him play. And now I've seen him play more I'd still stand by my comment that I would take any goalie in this league right now. I wouldn't be disappointed. There are, there are goalies I'd have over other goalies, but if we signed any of them, I wouldn't be disappointed. So the question for me is, we'll go with the top, but for the time being, top three netminders in the league this year. I'll let the goalie go with it first. I, I'm not sure. CJ Mott. He's in the top three. Um, let's go already. I'm torn between Owen or Caruth. I'm not sure. Because they both have merits in... Well, Owen faces a lot of shots, so he's ready every minute of every game. Caruth has downtime, but some of the smarts in his, his movement and save methodology in his saves is a different level. Um, sorry, it will go Owen. But you could easily go... You could easily bring Caruth. Uh, apart from the last week or so, you could easily go Sternovich. Apart from the last week and a half, you could easily go Brust. You could easily go Morrison. You could go Starrett. You could go Carr. It's... We missed out Linskoog. I think the only goal you've not mentioned. <laughs> He's slipping down the ranking for me. Yeah. But that's just... He's slipping down with the rest of the Guildford team, to be fair. True. However, uh, that way what we were discussing. You, you, could say you could easily just mix them three up. And you could have a, a very... Genuine argument. So there's my three. Go on. Now to the defender, Gref. Okay, I had best goal for certain, as well as CJ Mott. Uh, yeah, that'd be a for me. It'd be a toss up between Owen, just because we all know what he can do, and then obviously this is his prelim. In with had not really much in front of him, he can stand on his head. Starrett plays 
pretty well. I'd as an outsider, I'd put Rock would be pretty decent if he doesn't play like he did last the other night for you guys. He's been pretty decent from what when I've watched him. Yes, I'd love to have Ira though when I our Manchester team. Obviously, I'd love to have Ginner, but with his injury, it's not going to happen. He's done for the season now, isn't he? He is. I think That's he's done. His age, I think he's done. But yeah, that kind yeah. of injury. Out for he's, done it, considering he's done it once before as well. Yeah. It's a shame. For all his theatrics, he, he was a good netminder. Yeah. Still not giving us a top three. You're not, you're not getting out of it. You're not giving it a bird. Pressure on me first, old boy. Go on. Uh, I said, best go, CJ Mutt. And yeah, I'll go with. I'll go with Rock. There you go. Oh, cat. Some contention across there. <laughs> I think I'm certainly not going Rock after last night. Um, I'm going. Always can have a, a bad game every now and then, so. Yeah, but I think he's had more. But yeah, we're not even going to go into that yet. Um, <laughs> Some of us have bad seasons, it's fine. I'm going... CJ, I agree with you guys. CJ Mott is an obvious one. Um, Besco is an obvious one. I, honestly, the third one for me is an obvious one. I can't look past Shane Owen. Shane Owen has to be one of the top three for me. And, and it's, it's, you could easily go that. Yeah. And, you know, that's not a wrong lineup, And them three are damn good goalies. But you could flip the coin and go, Karouf could take Owen's spot. You could, you could potentially argue... Not sure how he'd win it, but he could go take place of best score, You know, we've not mentioned Morrison for Dundee, but he's had some outstanding games. Could yeah. you go, you know, in the battle of facing 50 shots a night, could he take the place of Owen? I, I'd, have, I'd have genuinely had him as one of the top last year when he played for five. I'd have genuinely had him as... I, he was one yeah. of the ones... Only CJ Mott was the only goalie I'd have taken over Morrison last year. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of start recently, and... As a as compact goal is, when I say compact, it's, he's, he keeps his unit very neat and tidy when he's in the goal. He's, he's not a limb level 50 over 10. He keeps it, he tries to keep it as simple as possible. More than effective, and he pulled off some decent saves last night. Yeah. Uh, he could get into to some arguments of where should he be in the top three. Um, I think, just like we mentioned in numerous times, I think you could go a top three, and you're not wrong. Yeah. So I'm gonna. I'll ask this then. Bad top three, top goalie. I, I suspect I know who you're gonna say. But yeah, top goalie. Mark. Who got Besco? I'm going Owen. <laughs> I genuinely believe it's Owen. The, the thing for me is I'm trying to look at it and say, do I think that we'd get the same saves out of Karouf, out of Besco, out of Mott, with the amount of shots that Shane Owen faces? And I honestly don't think the answer is yes. I genuinely think the closest goalie to him in that respect is Morrison. And it, it doesn't define a good goalie because then the argument could be if he was put in a different situation where he's facing less, shot, less shots a night, is he going to 
concede as many goals because he's not as ready because he's getting those shots constantly on him so he's constantly dialed in currently the Zemlak effect the Zemlak effect but I just think some of the saves on top of everything else um, he's, he's proved himself previously he played well when he played for Belfast I, I, I honestly think I honestly think was... he's a good goalie uh, without a shadow of a doubt I know if you don't mention him it's no disrespect to him he's a damn good goalie for me <laughs> An argument I go is who could steal more games? When I say steal games, as in your team's been poor, really poor, they stunk the building out, but you go, who's going to win more games? And I feel Mott does that more. Mott would be. I think think Owen could. I think Owen could on on a higher level team, like he did for Belfast. He won a couple of games for Belfast where you go, how the hell's he won that? He had no right, but he was outstanding. I just feel, because Coventry are, are, are panning out to that middle ground team where they should be better, they should be worse, if that makes sense. And yeah. he's, he's, he's stealing games. And from a lucky perspective, only because his, when he played in the AHL last year, his AHL Philip team was the Islanders one, so I watched a couple of games when he actually played. And again, very similar where he was stealing saves, stealing results where you go, how the hell has he done that? Yeah. So, for me, yeah, Mark. Yeah, Mark was a close second for me. But for me, Besko out of the three was the lowest on the list. I actually thought Besko, I could have swapped Besko out for Karouf. Just because, I think, the thing, the other thing with Besko is he makes some good saves and a great goalie, but I probably hazard to say he's got the best team in front of him this year. Consistently, the best team in front of him this year. Um, Karouf hasn't always had that and I think there's been a couple of games against us where he's made the crucial save at the right time um, yeah no, I just I was intrigued in fairness I actually see goaltending with the way it's been over the last few weeks and it's probably just a pessimistic look I actually think goaltending could be the uh, the, the downfall for the Steelers team uh, over the weekend we saw some very very sus- suspicious questionable goals going against the Steelers through Barry and Rock no, we've said goalies are entitled to have bad game. They have that. That's, that's natural. They're human just like any other player. But that's, that's genuinely my concern at the moment. My dad actually said it. I'll give him a shout out for that because he actually said it to me and I said, yeah, no, I agree. But I genuinely think goaltending could be the downfall for the Steelers right now if they carry on on that downward spiral. Just before, I'm pretty saying Gresham gave us his top goal. I think, as I mentioned to you, I think they're in a bit of a slump. But whilst we're lucky that Cardiff drops a point or two here and there Belfast drops a point or two here and there so it's bought us a bit of time not much but a bit of time just to go okay get back into it bad weekend done yeah yeah so I, I agree with you I think Netmine will be the difference between us and Belfast um, as you know because I can't see there being many 7-1 games or 8-1 can't remember what the, the blout was there may be another one um, but there's going to be a couple. I say, I say two out of the next five. There's going to be a two one-goal games. Yeah. Which team? Which goal is going to win that? And that's your difference potentially between taking the Monteith ball home and uh, being the bridesmaid. But yeah. Gref, did you give us your, your top goalie? Yeah, I yeah. said best goal. Yeah. Did you say best goal? My apologies. I, went, I couldn't remember if you said it or not, mate. Anything else on on goalies, boys? 
Uh, so, gents, next thing that we've got on the agenda that I've got written down is uh, is goal line technology. Uh, we'll extend that just generically as goal reviews. Been a fair few of them this year. It's been a bit of contention surrounding them. Dave, you and I watched the game yesterday where I think we both disagreed with the decision made. Um, and it led to me tweeting to say, can we see the overhead angle of the goal? More so because I was intrigued. Um, yeah, we watched multiple replays of it in the game. Uh, I didn't see any contact with Starrett. I thought, we've seen the overhead angle from the Belfast-Cardiff game. Can we see the overhead angle? To which I received a response saying, there's no overhead angle. And when I said, how can you have no overhead angle? Surely every league, every team has to have the same angle. I was told that that was the same for the majority of the teams in this league, including, I think you said, Sheffield. So I'll throw it over to you guys and see what you think. Because um, to me, the goal line technology that we've got, the goal review technology that we've got, should be the exact same in every team, in every in every building. Because to me, what that basically said was, Cardiff played Glasgow, score a goal in the same way that it scored against Belfast in that game where it was so contentious. That's a goal. Because the overhead was the only one that showed any contact. So... I'll throw it over to you guys, what do you think? No, I'm with you there, mate. Um, it, it should be a, a basic requirement, but it should be a consistent basic requirement across all ten teams. For me, if we're going to have goal line technology, it's not an argument discussion. If you're going to have that, I mean, it was delayed because of discussions with the venues to get the overhead cameras. So unless, for Glasgow, for example, because of all the issues they've had, and I'm not saying this in a disrespectful manner, but they just haven't got round to putting that back in. And with the greatest respect, that's not been the top of their priority. Although you could say it should be. You're putting in a pro team in a building, they have certain conditions, you should tick them all off. And given also everything that's sort of the mess around with, with the COVID and the restrictions and everything else that's had, it's the one time you can kind of, you, you can feel to go, there's a little bit of opportunity to give a bit of, okay, get it done ASAP however your stance should be bog standard every team same cameras same angles no team gets an advantage full stop for me there's, it's just there's no discussion about it whatsoever I totally agree with you on that one it should I think for us to be looked at as like a more, even more so as a more of a professional league, instead of being called a beer league, like some people like to throw every now and again on social media, it should be one set of standards. This is what you need for your goal line technology, and that's it. No ifs, buts, maybes. You do it. I know I won't go into it, into it much further, but I know there is some teams around the league that don't use the exact same. I've mentioned to this to you guys, I think probably on the rink, that's from the very start of the season. And yeah, it's it shown that yeah, some teams, some teams it's good for them for for what they've got, and some teams it's like, come on, stick the game up. So yeah, I think personally, I think yeah, it should be one, not one angle, but like one set of where it actually has to be. 
so you get a good view. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. It's, it's, for me, it should be standard. It should be the same software used for everybody. It should be the same camera angles for everybody. And if another team has an angle that, you know, is extra, the only team it should benefit is the away team. If it's going to benefit anyone, it shouldn't be used at all. And granted, there's the argument that Belfast have put the camera in that shows the best angle for a goal, particularly if it's a goal line review, then, oh, they're the ones that have made the effort to put that in. Great. But it still benefits them. And it comes round to the same argument, um, because it came out on Twitter for a couple of games with Cardiff that they don't have the same software. Um, And there were a few times in their games where they've not been able to get goals reviewed because it's had to, I don't know, my, my recollection was it was something like it was reviewed upstairs and then passed down to the referee rather than there being something to review the game there for the referee, like for the official to, to actually make the decision. And actually it happened when we played Cardiff, they wanted two goals to be reviewed and neither goal was able to be reviewed because they didn't have the equipment at ice level for the referee to review. So, you know, in that instance, that's fine because it's Cardiff that have, that have suffered and they're the home team, they're the team that haven't gone with, you know, the same as everybody else and it's them that's lost. But what happens if the Steelers were the team to, want to review two goals and couldn't because of the technology that Cardiff have got? That then gives them an advantage. You know, if it's a case that someone's goal line technology is not working, What's the rule there? Do we do we have something in place where it's the home team is the one that has the deficit? If it's the away team that scored a goal, then it's given a goal. If it's the away team that won it waved off, then it's waved off. What 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 do you do? It's fine when it when it works against the team who have that deficiency. What happens when it works against the team that have no part in the technology there? Um, so for me, it needs to be the same software for every team, all ten across the board. It needs to be the same camera angles for all ten teams across the board otherwise it just gives an unfair advantage as I said before the only times that that could be an exception is playoff weekend semi-finals and final um, no one really cares about the third and fourth game so fair play and it should be uh, other, other than you know the under over bet um, and it should be the same for Challenge Cup final because they're one-off games other than that shouldn't be any more angles available for one team than another just straight up I, I just I just couldn't get my head around it when he said there's no overhead angle in Glasgow I was like oh that makes no sense that, that <laughs> how does it work that Cardiff's goal would have been a goal in Glasgow but isn't in Belfast because of the angles that they've got available so, no. I know in I say I know if the Home team doesn't have the, they don't have like the lap, the laptops not working or something. They the people doing the goal technology have to tell the official they have to tell the league first an hour before the face off. Obviously that gets communicated then to the officials, home team, away team to tell you yeah there's no GLT for tonight and then. From then on, I don't know where it goes from because we just go, yeah, it's not working. Yeah, it's not happened in our rink yet, thankfully. Cause I think probably out of the whole ten teams, 
you've got at least two people that are that their day job is IT. So it, it, for us, it's like, yeah, we can fix this easy enough. We can all do IT, mate. Turn it off and on again. Yeah. I'll put a stick tape on the, the laptop itself. Please tell me that's happened. <laughs> Wasn't we at a game, Joe, where... I know it could be in Glasgow, where Goal Line was... And it was announced that Goal Line wasn't working. Yeah. I can't remember where it was or when it was, but yeah, I, I remember that happening. Yeah, it's, it's just one of them. It's a great, it's a great thing to have. It's then just what happens if you don't work. What happens if yeah, it's all these things that should be covered. But that's for me. The, the fundamental should be every team has the same software. Every team has the same angles. I just can't believe that not every team has an overhead camera. It's goal line. You start off as goal line technology. You start off only being to review if the puck crossed the line. How could you not have an overhead camera? It baffles me. Uh, anything else on, on GLT, boys? Um, so, next thing I've got written down is Olympics, and I've still watched pretty much none of the Olympics, so I'm going to throw it straight over to you guys. So, let's start with the ladies, and the tournament finished this morning, and it is going the gold medal, as per the last seven Olympic finals, I believe, has been the same fixture. Canada v USA and it's the Maple Leaf that's taking the gold um, unlike in Pyeongchang where the USA beat them I think it was, I think it was 3-2 the final score um, so Canada winning the women's gold um, so congratulations to them uh, tomorrow sees the men's semi-finals and the quarter-finals had a couple of shocks um, truth be told so let's start with the, the big shock Slovakia Equalised in the last minute against the Americans and beat them on a shootout. Um, Denmark. Well, Denmark pushed the ROC all the way. Uh, unfortunately, the ROC won 1-3-1, one, one, which is a shame. Um, uh, Canada. Losing 2-0 to Sweden. That was, a, that was a close game. The hearts have seen... Uh, of it. And then Finland beat Switzerland. I think it was 5-1. So, the semi-finals, Finland, Slovakia, and Sweden, ROC. With the potential of the final of Turin in 2006 being repeated, should Finland and Sweden win. Which, obviously, was Lundqvist's gold medal in his first pro year in the NHL. Uh we already mentioned a couple of decisions, but it's it's been an interesting tournament. Uh, but it's the first time for a long time that there's not going to be any North American involvement in the podium for about four Olympics or something along that line. So a bit of a shot. You can tell the NHLers aren't there. But the finals Saturday, quarter past one. I think, I think it should be on BBC One. I think it will be, yeah. I was going to say, if GB stay up in Finland, it's a good thing that Russia got through. Obviously, if they're monitoring this podcast, 
and we go there. <laughs> well, here's, here's one thing for you. So, we'll go on a little tangent. So, there's actually talks of expanding both the men's and the women's. So, at the moment, it's 10 teams in the women's tournament, 12 in the men's. And there's talk, even as early as uh, Milan Cortina, which is the next Winter Olympics, of um, it being 12 women and 16 men. Now, given GB and how well they've done recently, in the current format, and the mathematics done correctly, GB should be in the, the final qualifying round as it stands. Should it go to 16? GB will probably still be in that last bracket of qualifiers. But you're taking out a fair few decent teams where you go, there's a chance. There's a chance there that they could do something. And we've mentioned many times that that's when the door opens, when GB makes one of the Olympics. So who knows? But definitely, they'll be in the final qualifying round. Just I think it's the, as the third, it's the lowest round of automatic that goes to the third, the final qualifier. So they don't be. So as Hungary beat GB in, in Nottingham, they was the fourth t- seed in the final round. Will be the third seed. I think that's going to be if that goes ahead and then we make it to the Olympics. And obviously, for example, I say us four, to include Stafford on this one, that'll be how we felt when it was we we went to World Championships in Slovakia. We were like, we're actually at the Olympic Games. Who'd have thought? It'll be a, it'll be a return visit as well to, to Cortina, um, where GB got knocked out in an Olympic qualifier um, for Pyeongchang. Uh, they got d- dipped out by the Italians um, in the old rink in Cortina, which is an interesting venue. But they're building a new rink uh, to host the tournament um, and upgrading the current one. So they've got two rinks to use both, uh, because I think that's the requirement, so you can have games on at the same time. Uh, but uh, what a trip that would be. Can you imagine? We've also spoke about the implications as well. Where, like, we think that it'll be the way that GB hockey breaks into the BBC is if we have that Olympic coverage. So it'd be huge. I mean, that's that's an understatement as to how huge it would be if, we, if it happened. So um, at this point, we can but hope. But uh, yeah, interesting to see no USA or Canada in the uh, the semis. That's uh, yeah, interesting. To I know. If Canada has the best jersey. Canada has the best jersey, the black and red uh, jersey. China ladies has the best goalie pads. Yep. Helmet combo. Um, USA men's come second. His is uh, stars and stripe combo as well. But that was good. The rest have been pretty disappointing. I appreciate it could be with COVID and everything, but you'd hope for some really sick designs of the, the goal equipment. You know, it's not just a world championship, you're the Olympics. If ever there's a stage to style it out, yeah. there you go. Just a bit having, let's say for China as well, 
having not having their actual names on the jersey and having their Chinese name put on the back is an interesting one as well. It is. If you adds adds an element to it. Um, you know, easy for us to just say Jeremy Smith. Not the combination that they come up with, which I hope it makes a speedy recovery. By the way, he had a nasty injury in their game against Canada. Not really much more to add, boys. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I say I'm not really watched much. To be fair, it's it's been not the easiest thing to watch all the time. It's not always been on the BBC. Uh, and on top of that, I'm sat at the desk at work every day, so it's not been easiest for me to watch. But um, yeah. Here's to hoping that we see GB there next time round. Um, here's to hoping that we see some better goalie pad designs next time round. Um, yeah, on to the finals. Let's see if we see a fully Scandinavian final. Uh, anything else on the Olympics, boys? No, I'm seeing Jamie dead. So, jump back to domestic league. Obviously, no Stafford stats or stories today. Uh, we do have his predictions, so we'll have a full round of predictions. I'll go from last week, just just quickly, and I'll say quickly because we didn't do well, boys. Um, do we ever? In the news, water's wet. In, uh, well, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You got scratched one off because it did get played. 14 games if we take into account. One game not being played. 14 games. Gref, you got four. Uh, I got six. Dave, you've got eight. So, uh, yeah, Dave taking the win on that one. Um, <laughs> six and four is uh, it's pretty dreadful. <laughs> uh, let's see if we can do any better this week, boys. Predictions is the last thing on the agenda. Um, starting with Saturday the 19th, we've got Belfast v Fife in Belfast. So, I'm going four on Belfast. And Stafford is going 5-1 Belfast. And I'm going 5-2 Belfast. I'm going 4-3 Belfast in red. Uh, Manchester Sheffield in Manchester. Um, surprise, surprise, I'm going Manchester. And I'm going 4-3 in overtime. There's always one. Uh, Andy has gone 4-3 in overtime to Sheffield. I'm going 5-2 to Sheffield. Time to go 4-2 to Sheffield. Glasgow Dundee in Glasgow. I've gone 3-1 Glasgow. Andy has gone 4 Two. Glasgow. I'm going three one Dundee. I'm going three two in overtime Glasgow. Uh commentary not in giving commentary. Stafford's going to three two not in giving overtime. I'm going 5-2 Nottingham. I'm going 4-2 Nottingham. I'm going 4-2 Coventry. Who can? Uh, last one 
last game of Saturday, Cardiff Guildford in Cardiff. I'm going five three Cardiff. I'm going four three regulation Cardiff. <coughs> and Andy's going four two Cardiff. I'm going six two Cardiff. Um, Sunday the twentieth, Nottingham Belfast in Nottingham. So Andy's gone five three Belfast. I'm going three one Nottingham. I'm going 4-2 Belfast. I'm going 4-3 in overtime. Uh, Nottingham. Sheffield Cardiff in Sheffield. Kind of, I don't know, prequel to the Challenge Cup. I'm going 4-3 Sheffield regulation. And is going 5-3 Cardiff. I'm going 4-3 Sheffield, but in overtime. Uh, and I'm going 4-3 Cardiff in overtime. Uh, Guildford, Glasgow in Guildford. I'm going 5-3 Guildford. Uh, and Andy's going 4-2 Glasgow. Yeah, I'm going 4-2 Guildford. I'm going to go 5-2 Glasgow. Uh, five Coventry in Fife. Andy's going 3-1 Coventry. I'm going 4-3 regulation Fife. And I've got written down the exact same as you, Dave. 4-3 Fife in regulation. I'm going 4-2 Coventry. Uh, last game on a Sunday, Manchester Dundee in Manchester. Andy's gone 3 1 to Manchester. I've gone 3 0 Manchester. I've gone 3 2 Dundee. Regulation. Do we know, do we know any more about Makashiro? Did he play the following... I can't remember if you guys played the following day. No, we didn't play the following day. But he didn't play yesterday against Nottingham. It was Downey and... Uh, Three-one Dundee. Uh, Wednesday, 23rd. Been a while since we said Challenge Cup. Challenge, not Conti. Challenge Cup. Um, two semi-final games. Belfast v Nottingham in Belfast. These are one legs, right? Yes. Yeah. Is it? So, Belfast twin five three for Ander. Belfast twin four two for me. I've gone Belfast to win four three in regulation. And when Belfast to win 5-2. And then Sheffield, Cardiff in Sheffield. Three one Sheffield. For me. 
So Andy said 5-3 Cardiff, and that's for this fixture. I said that for the previous one. So my apologies. He said Sheffield 4-3 overtime. For the other one. I'm going to go 4-3 overtime to Cardiff. And I'm going to do 4-3 overtime to Sheffield. Uh, that's it, boys. Unless I haven't missed any. I know I missed some last week. I think that's it. So, uh, yeah, no more predictions. I think we've... Uh, Doing our usual and delivered with the uh, the length of the podcast, so I think it's about time that we uh, we wrap this one up. Any other business, gents, before we uh, we call it a day? I guess got one very quick one. Uh, yep. Nice little thing from the Czech Republic uh, in honour of the big man's fiftieth birthday. They've uh, that is Yarmy Yaga. They've issued currency um, with his name plastered all over it, uh, fifty crown, which is roughly just over two pound. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, Currency. So very rare you get hockey players that have chairs currency um, named after them or have that person on there. So it has him, has the triple gold, the gold triple gold club badge on there, and it also has this the scenes when they come back from Nagano with the gold medal uh, in the old square in, in Prague on the other side of the note. So uh, that's a little cool thing to get some get some currency rename on it. So, yeah, pretty unique for a hockey player, like you say. They can't, I think we might have to try and get some of these notes, boys, for a couple of quid. Oh, do you mean that means you have to go to Prague? What a shame. What a shame. Is this a permanent thing, or is this just a part-time... I don't know. Uh, so... Fair enough. Fair enough. I know that um, I read, read something earlier that was like Mario Lemieux got in contact with a, uh, a Czech newspaper and basically said like I remember him coming in as an 18 year old in Pittsburgh it wasn't long before he was like a star player winning back to back cups uh, and he basically asked them if they could pass on his his happy birthday to Yaramir Yager via the newspaper so um, in fairness I, I've, I'd forgot that Yager played for Washington yeah because it is, there were some highlights put out of it, like top 10 top goals, and I, like, I forgot he played for Washington, but he was one, that one player who has played with many of the greats of the game um, in the 90s, the noughties, and the 2010s. Mario being included. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm very happy to be a Penguins fan at this point and to be able to say that he played in our jersey. Um, the one elusive jersey that I want so badly is a, a Penguins Robo. Robo Pen jersey from the nineties with Yaga on the back. That's that is my currently most wanted jersey. I, I must be honest, when I when I watched him uh in twenty twenty when he played for Cladnow and he scored a goal. It went like a tip in, it was a really nice work on just gone. Have you just watched the Hall of Famer? That forty seven, forty year old just do that at the top level of the Czech Republic. Wow. Yeah. And you just even the Prague fans because the Prague fans weren't happy with Cladno. Um, even they were like, "Well done." Yeah, he's our he's our favourite son of, of the Czech Republic. It's a plot that goal. Did he then go and play for Prague? Or have made that up? He was rumoured to be moving to Prague when Cladno got relegated, but he stayed at Cladno, got them promoted back up to the uh, top league, and he's now playing there. 
And I think he's like their fifth top scorer, which at 50 year old, you kind of come, you know, crack on son. Yeah, I don't think there's many more people. I know obviously Gretzky's up there in his own right, but don't think there's many more people as iconic as Yaga just for the amount of time he spent playing. I mean, he's up, he's, he's, he's the only other player, I'd say, in terms of his ability to play at his age that's up there in the same ballpark as Gordie Hart. I'm going to say, he's the only one. There's no one else. Yeah. Um, I don't think, given the way the game's played now, you'll get anybody like that. Um, they said, to watch him on TV for your team or to watch him live, it's, they're the players where you go, I've seen him live or I've seen him play for us. Yeah. You know, like, ref will be with, with Hasek for, when he played for Buffalo. Generational players, you just go, Special. That is special to see. That's why I feel quite honoured as a Pens fan to feel like we've had three, if not four, generational players in that respect. Because we've had Mario, we've had Jagger, we've had Sid. And to me, on a slightly different note with a goal, we've had Flower as well. Flower, you could argue Malkin. Malkin, yeah. In fairness, Pittsburgh have had quite a few. And there's also quite a few underneath that bracket where you go, probably any other team... I said generational player. Yeah. So you've been kind of blessed to have yeah. ridiculous yeah. talent. Latang could probably be on the list as well, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. Brasso? Yeah. Yeah, certainly no complaints from me in that respect. But yeah. Could have been worse. You could have had Di Pietro. Could be worse. Still be paying Di Pietro. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're still paying him now. I don't think if we, have, if we haven't we've only got like a couple of years left it's like when you set up a, a deal to pay for a, for a car and you just miss using car you miss, miss read the fine print and when you think in five years it's 15 oh yeah can we hold on we just need to track back to the car look using Klarna yep <laughs> <laughs> oh god brilliant uh, yeah, you start paying him uh, twenty twenty one season. Right. I mean, still. <laughs> when did he stop playing? 2013, 2014 with injury. Surprise. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, well, the, the buyout, or actually, no, the cap hit's not actually. Ooh, let me scroll down a bit. Thanks to Cap Friendly. So it's not counting towards cap. Uh, 20, 29 is when you're just giving the 1.5 instead of the 4.5. Oh, so that's what contract should have been. So they're still paying him, it's just not counting the cap anymore? Yep. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that finished a while back. One of the many crazy contracts Garth Snow did for us. Thank you very much. You are very welcome. Wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> on that note boys I think we're going to draw a line under that one um, any other business other than that no no so gents end of another good podcast I reckon I'm trying to guess this because obviously we've got the uh, the interviews to add in I reckon we're around about the two and a half hour mark so good going as always um, Gref thank you very much sir we will be seeing you this weekend again so I feel like we're two weekends on the bounce I, know, I can't wait I mean this one's going to be a, a home slash away game for me as well it is. No, that's true. That yeah. is very true. 
But yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing yourselves on Saturday. And then hopefully we can rectify last week's game. Hopefully I don't get two minutes again. Yeah, you go. Oh well, worth it. Hopefully I don't get injured <laughs> as well. Yeah. Yeah, thanks to Hopefully you can walk at the end of this one. <laughs> yep, definitely. But anyway, thanks to anyone that was listening. As we always say, the real MVPs. Thanks to Joe, to Dave. Hope Stafford feels better soon on the IR. We'll go with that one. <laughs> and yeah, cheers for having me. Pleasure as always, mate. Pleasure as always. Dave, thank you very much, sir. Um, Again, nice road trip to Manchester on Saturday. Yay, can't wait. Well, they, have, they have Tim Hortons, and more importantly, they have Gref. So, you know, everything's fine with the world. Um, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Gref. Thanks, Andy, for your, your, your predictions. Uh, and to the listeners, I hope you enjoyed the, uh, the new segment. Uh, fun put together. Um... The next ones will be fun. So, yeah, thanks for listening. As Griff said, the real MVPs, the real goats. To you guys. Yeah, 100%. Now, gents, thank you very much. Pleasure as always, like I say. Um, always good to, to bang heads together on a Thursday and, uh, and talk some hockey. Um, I, also, I think this might be the first time we're, we're signing off pre-12 o'clock. I've usually got an NHL game on by this point, so pretty good going, to be fair. We, uh, we actually set off relatively quickly today and, uh, and got going. So, um, But no, thanks to you both. Um, another enjoyable episode to record. I think you'll both agree. Andy, thank you very much for your uh, your predictions. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you back next week. And uh, gents, like you've already said, thank you to everybody listening up to this point. Um, you know, it's the listeners that we do it for. Um, we didn't actually ask this week for any questions or things like that, I don't think. So we'll, uh, we'll get a bit more active on that, but I think we will probably push for time as it is anyway. Um, but yeah, thank you everybody for listening. We'll, uh, we'll chuck it out there for, for questions. If you want to follow us on social media, it's at MSN Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. It's My Fancy Zamboni Podcast on Facebook. And uh, we've got the My Fancy Zamboni uh, discussion group as well on Facebook. So if you've not been able to that already, uh, you should be able to add yourself to our Facebook page. If not, drop us a message and we'll get you added as soon as we can. Uh, but yeah, if you've got any questions in the meantime, don't wait for us to ask. Tell us you think we're wrong. Tell us who you think your favourite best goalie is, worst goalie is, whatever. Obviously, one of the discussions we've had. If you think we're wrong on anything, feel free to chip in. We like to uh, hear other opinions. Hopefully, you've enjoyed listening to uh, some voices that aren't ours for uh, for a segment of the podcast today. Um, yeah, thank you to everybody listening. Uh, another episode of My Fantasy Zamboni. Thanks a lot. <laughs>